trying to move it in, and we got a fight right off the draw. Punch is being thrown by DeFazio against DeLaurier. DeLaurier taking a series of rights. Can't see right now. Here's DeFazio wailing away, and the linesman come in to save. Nick DeLaurier from a beating here just nine seconds in. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gardner goes right to King Flaxenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So, welcome to episode 67, actual episode 87. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is part one of my chat with Brandon DeFazio. We'll get to Brandon in a few minutes, but first, I just want to say thank you to everyone lately uh, who has uh, really provided me a lot of feedback on the episodes, especially the Rick Hayward episodes. And um, I said it in the last one that um, really a lot of people that Rick is very close with, uh, a lot of his friends, his family, uh, you know, his daughter, Bianca, his son, Bo, um, his sister, Jackie, they've really, you know, they keep me fired up. You know, um, really all the feedback, it means a lot. And I really want to appreciate, uh, I really want to say thank you to everyone. I appreciate that. Um, but when you get these messages, like I always say from family, it's, it's just extra special. And, um, please, if, uh, if you didn't listen to part two of my Rick Hayward interview yet, please do, because, um, the ending is the most important part of the entire four plus hours of the interview I did with Rick and, uh, please, um, you know, listen to it, take the time. It has a lot to do with, uh, Rick's son, Bo. And, um, I don't want to get too much into it because I really think, um, on this show, I have guests on and they talk about the role that they, uh, had in hockey. And it was the role of an enforcer or the role of a power forward. And you hear the on ice stories and what I always hope that you also glean from these episodes are the people behind the role and the people behind those stories. And there have been certain parts of episodes where it becomes real. It, the, the, really be, the human side of the guests come out. And I don't think, um, you know, 
the the way Rick talked about his son Bo and uh, Bo's unfortunate accident that he had a few years back, um, hearing uh, a father talk about his son uh, in the way that Rick did, just kind of really just laying everything out there. Um, as a father, it really got me and it really touched me. Um, and as a son, it did too, because I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I have two sons of my own. I'm fortunate enough. You know, my father is still alive. So from both sides, it really touched me and it really got me. And, um, as much as I want everybody to listen to every episode that I do, um, especially if, if you're someone with sons or if you're, you know, you're someone who's fortunate enough to have your dad still around, or even if not, if, if your dad isn't alive anymore, but you have that bond with him and you had a special relationship with your father, please go back and listen to part two and listen to the end where Rick talks about Bo uh, and tell me if, if you're not choked up, tell me if it's uh, it's not moving because I don't think you can. Um, and Rick was an amazing guest and uh, like, uh, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, Rick is an amazing guest and the guests are what drives this, sh drives this show and drives this program. And I want to thank Rick again. I want to thank Bo for giving Rick permission to talk about his situation, his accident that he had. And, uh, I hope that you people check my social media because, uh, Bo's sister, Bianca started a GoFundMe, um, and uh, and again, I don't want to give it away. I really want I really want you people to go and listen to it or check my social media and see exactly what the situation is. It really it is worth your time. And when you do that, please consider uh, donating to the GoFundMe. Whatever you can donate, it will definitely help. And uh, I hope that Bo's story gets out there because uh, Bo. He sent me a nice long message, stuff he's getting involved in, stuff he's already involved in. And, uh, I mean, this guy is a total inspiration. So thank you again to everybody in the Hayward family who reached out to me. Thank you again to everyone who listened to the episodes and reached out to me. Your feedback means everything to me. So, again, I keep saying thank you, but thank you. Um, social media. If you're on social media and you'd like to follow the social media accounts for this program, on Twitter, the social media account is at Kali Sinbin Pod. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. Autumn is coming. It's a little chilly out. Even today here on Long Island, I think it got to the high 70s. But now at night, it's a little chilly. Maybe it's hoodie weather. And what better way to keep yourself warm, keep your loved ones warm, than with a Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box hoodie? That's right, they're available, in case you didn't know. Hoodies, t-shirts, sweatshirts, leggings, totes, socks, mugs, masks, although hopefully nobody needs to buy any masks anymore. Um, they are available. And what I'd like you to do is scroll down, on, scroll down past the episode description of the very episode you're listening to right now, and you will see two links, one for the original logo merchandise and one for the alternate logo merchandise, and fill up your cart. And when you go to check out, I want you to use code DeFazio20, D-E-F-A-Z-I-O-2-0, and you will get 20% off everything in your cart in either store. So um, DeFazio20, that code is valid until October 
fifth. And the reason why I push the merchandise so much, trust me, folks, I, I don't make anything on the merchandise. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Darren from Fourth Line Voice, um, if you listen to him, I'm the Gene Simmons of the Nickel and Dime podcast, uh, putting my logo on everything. But uh, I really you know what what uh, i've made off this this merchandise is uh, is very minimal but i pump it up every week because i'm really pumped about the logo that i have and that logo was drawn by local long island artist joe marisich joe is available for hire joe can be reached on twitter at graphicsjoker or at loudegg.com he doesn't just do tunes he can do any kind of art you need Reach out to Joe. Tell him that you heard about him on the Coliseum Chronicles podcast. Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. I don't know if that'll get you anything, but, you know, you never know. Why not? Joe's a good dude. So um, let him know that's uh, this is where you heard it. And um, I'm sure that Joe will uh, will take care of all your art needs. So I just mentioned uh, Darren from the Fourth Line Voice. Darren from the Fourth Line Voice is a podcast that I really would like you to pay attention to fourth line voice is the original enforcer podcast. And, um, Darren is a proud member of the hockey podcast network, puts out two episodes a week, interview episode on Wednesday, shit show Sunday episode on Sunday, where he grandpa Simpsons the out the window pumps his fist and, uh, is a boomer proud boomer like me. I don't think we're officially boomers, but that's what the uh, generation Z would call us. I'm sure. But basically, it's a bit of a rant episode, and I love them. Uh, so if you're listening to this on Sunday, I'm recording this Saturday night, by the way, after the Islander game. So if you're listening to this on Sunday, uh, check out his shit, uh, shit Show Sunday episode. But before you do that, last Wednesday, yours truly was a guest on Darren's program. And uh, what we discussed, basically, the nuts and bolts of the episode was the 95-96 Tough Guys issue, uh, my rankings, the top 25 from that season. Uh, we also talked about a few of the other projects that I've worked on, uh, how I got into this whole thing, and uh, we reminisce a little bit about the good old days. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I could talk to Darren every day, and uh, that was a fun, a fun show to do. Um, I think it's well over two hours. It felt like five minutes. And, um, well, for me, it felt like five minutes for Darren. He might've wanted to jump off the roof by the time we were done. But, um, Darren is, a, he's a great guy. He knows his shit. He's old school like me. And, um, it, it's, listen, it's a fun episode to listen to, especially if you were around back then. And if you were around back then and you were on the fight message boards, like fried chickens, uh, fight site, you're well aware of the rankings that I did. And you're well aware of, uh, the criticism that was heaped upon me. So we revisit that a little bit too. But if you want to listen to Darren shows when he has real guests on, um, like I said, those shows are on Wednesdays, check out his back catalog and you will not be disappointed. So um, I'm sure he'll have a real guest on next Wednesday. Uh, not this ham and egger, but, uh, but thank you, Darren, again, for having me on. I loved, I love being on and I always love, uh, love chatting with you. Uh, also, if you enjoy hockey fights chances are that you watch some on youtube and if you've ever watched a hockey fight on youtube again chances are it's on the fourth line voice youtube channel darren has over 2500 or 2600 
He's been he's been uh, very lax lately because all his shit is packed up. He's trying to sell his condo. If anyone is looking for a condo in Saskatoon, please let Darren know. Uh, all his stuff is in bins, so um, he's looking to sell. So um, that's why I can't tell you it's over twenty seven hundred because all his stuff is uh, is is locked up now. So check out the fourth line voice YouTube channel. It'll give you time right now. You'll actually have time to catch up and watch all 2,600 fights before he uploads anymore, but definitely check out the fourth line voice YouTube channel. Check out the fourth line voice podcast, the OG of the enforcer podcasting genre five for fighting podcast with Alec Olin Salen, part-time Oli, And boy, he is giving Darren all the material he needs to support the part-time Oli nickname. Uh, it's been a few weeks since uh, Alec has put out an episode. And uh, Alec, if you're listening to this, I want to offer condolences on your wife's grandmother. I was very sorry to hear that uh, she passed away. And uh, please, uh, you know, send my condolences to your family, her family. Uh, very unfortunate incident. Uh, Alec has a show called Five for Fighting. I think I said that, but in case I didn't. Uh, what Alec has done lately is uh, he records his episodes. He goes live on Facebook. These kids nowadays, they can do anything. It's incredible. So he has these Facebook live episodes. And the last episode he recorded was with British sensation John Searson. And um, what he does usually Friday nights, he'll go live. Uh, and he has uh, hockey fight fans, hockey fight enforcers, well, hockey fight enforcers, hockey enforcers. And uh, he'll go live, and it's a very interactive interview where fans can participate, ask questions. Um, you know, he'll pump up videos there. And like I said, these these kids are amazing. They can do anything. So they'll, they'll play uh, fight videos while the guest is on. They'll discuss it. And then if you miss it on Friday, if you, if you miss the live on Friday, he releases them in podcast form on Tuesday. So while we're waiting for a new episode from Alec, this is a really good time for you to go back and check out his back catalog. Um, many, many, many great guests, many, many badass dudes have graced the microphone of the Five for Fighting podcast. And I mentioned Alex. Alec does these live shows. Where he does the live shows are on the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. Uh, I think there's well over 12,000 members. And uh, like I always say, it's a fun... Oh, I said it. Damn it. Uh, fun group to be a part of. There's knuckleheads in there, but for the most part, you know, lots of good stuff on there. Darren is always posting pictures, uh, always posting videos. Alec is doing the same thing. I don't really know how to post videos. I don't think like they do like embedding. I'm literally a dinosaur. So, uh, but it's fun. You could definitely go down the rabbit hole in that group. And next thing you know, it's two hours later, but Alec does a great job and, uh, probably the premier hockey fight group on facebook so uh so give it a try so as uh as people who know me know or regular listeners know i do collect uh game used gear um uh, in islanders enforcers uh islanders organizational enforcers for instance my guest today brandon defazio unfortunately i do not have any um of his game used gear I would love to add anything. If anyone out there has any Brandon DeFazio gear, um, sticks, helmets, gloves, jersey, whatever that uh, that maybe you're looking to part with, uh, uh, please let me know. I'd love to try to work something out with you. And actually, someone I also want to talk about uh, in a few moments is Brandon's father, Dean. And I'm going to get to Dean in a few minutes. But 
Dean never played for the Islanders, but Dean is old school, and you know I love old school. So even um, if anyone has any Dean DeFazio stuff, uh, I would love to to get my hands on on some of that too. So I do make some exceptions for my collection, and uh, Dean DeFazio is definitely someone I would make an exception for if anyone has any of his game-used gear. But the reason why I bring that up is uh, I, I say it every week. Somewhere out there, there's a white Islanders home jersey with number 48 on it, and most likely the name on the back has been removed. But that jersey is from Dean Ewan from his time in the Islanders organization, and um, I don't have it, and I really would like to add it to my collection. I have the blue. I don't have the white. If anyone knows its whereabouts, please let me know. I would really like to get my hands on it. Just a few more things before uh, we get started, before I bring you part one of Brandon DeFazio. I, I just want to say this because sometimes I forget uh, when I'm making my notes for these episodes, and uh, and I, I really want to thank someone that has been a, a tremendous help for me uh, throughout the time that I have had this show, but especially lately, and that's uh, Yuka in Finland. Uh, people call him Jay. Uh, his mama named him Yuka. I'm going to call him Yuka. So, um, Yuka is always, always right there. I know he helps me out. I know he helps out Darren. Uh, I would imagine he's helped out Alec. He is just, he, he just likes to help. And Yuka recently has sent me an insane amount of articles on Bob Nystrom. So, uh, for those of you who don't listen regularly, I had the opportunity to meet Bob a few weeks ago. And I think the odds are pretty good that I am going to have him on the show. So, um, you know, if you want to talk about the three kings of the Islanders, if you're talking about the old school guys, it's Bob Nystrom, Gary Howitt, and Clark Gillies. And uh, if I'm able to get those three guys on, I could just pretty much pack it in. But um, but Bob was very receptive, really, really classy guy. And uh, as soon as Yuka heard that, I don't I don't know how he does this, but... I mean, Yuka, you know everything you sent me, and I really just want to say thank you, and thank you for all the help that uh, you've provided me over <coughs> excuse me, over these two years. Uh, it really means a lot to me, so thank you very much. Um, so as I said, I'm recording this after the Islander game. The Islanders lost to Florida tonight uh, after losing the opener in Carolina. So as of right now, the Islanders are 0-2. And um, relax, relax. Chicken Littles, the sky isn't falling yet. They're 0-2. There's 80 games left. If they're 0-10, there might be an issue. But 0-2, this is a veteran team. I know I've seen many, many tweets about this guy's old, that guy's old. He's slow. He's this, he's that. They need more scoring. They've played 120 minutes of hockey. I'm not about to panic. So, like I said, Chicken Littles, relax. There's 80 games left. They're going to be fine. Really, trust me. I promise you they're going to be fine. So take a deep breath. Step away from the keyboard. Read a book. Do something. Just take it easy. It's going to be okay. I want to, I want to tell you guys that uh, some really positive news that is happening in my life. Uh, today, like I said, it's Saturday after the Islander game. Tomorrow, Sunday, after 17 months... And one day, I finally get to return to work. Uh, I have been furloughed due to COVID for, I guess, technically over 17 months. If you want to make it sound more dramatic, uh, for over 17 months, 
I have been furloughed due to COVID and, um, you know, it hasn't been fun. Uh, you know, and I speak out of both sides of my mouth because for 17 months I got to wake up at home and, uh, I got to spend time with my family more time than I had in, well, probably ever. I mean, the reality is, you know, for the first part of COVID, uh, my oldest son was home, you know, did everything online in college. Uh, my youngest son, fortunately, um, was able to do his senior year in person, but I drive him to school. I come home. He's here. I'm here. So it's a double-edged sword because, um, I got to see my kids, uh, more than I ever have. Uh, I, my wife, thank God has been working from home since, uh, COVID hit. So I got to spend so much more time with her. So I'm happy about that. Uh, you'd have to ask her uh, how she feels about that. But so for 17 months, I was very fortunate to have this insane amount of time with my family. But I come from a family where my father basically has the old school work ethic. Uh, you know, for those that don't know, um, old school Italian came here when he was eight or nine years old, uh, always worked, um, you know, went to Vietnam, uh, you know, came back he was uh he was wounded and uh, honorably discharged came back and all all my dad knew how to do was work and he worked two jobs for a lot of the time I was growing up so um it wasn't anything I had to be taught it was just a work ethic I saw my old man do what he did to support the family and um it was just something I took notice of so um to I, I enjoyed having all that time here, but uh, mentally it kind of got got to me for a while. It, it really did, and and I went through periods where, um, you know, it, my mental health was it was challenged. And I'm not saying I'm not uh, I don't want to overplay that mental health thing because I do think, and I know people who um, who mental health is a struggle with every day, and I would never compare what I went through to what they go through. Uh, but the only other time that I think my mental health was ever challenged as much as it has been the last year and a half was uh, back after the uh, the subway stabbing. Uh, that was obviously a challenge for me. Um, but, I, but I came through that and, um, you know, but this is different. This was me kind of feeling useless. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not contributing to the family. And, um, you know, I know the I know the woke folk, um, you know, they'd probably call it toxic masculinity that I have these feelings, but you know what? I am, uh, I'm the patriarch of this family and I need to support my family. And there have been times I've worked two jobs to do so. And I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just a fact. And uh, not being able to work through no fault of my own. Uh, I was ready to work the whole time. I, uh, I was ready to go. I'm just waiting for the call to go back. And, uh, you know, the fact that I, I couldn't go, uh, you know, it was, uh, at times it was demoralizing and uh, emasculating. And, um, I just, uh, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to go back to work tomorrow and, um, you know, again, I speak out of both sides of my mouth because it'll be weird waking up and being away from the family for a good portion of the day. But, um, you know, it's it's what I need to do. And, um, you know, until I win the lottery, it's what I plan to do. And um, so anyway, 
you know, I'm just happy to tell you that, that I will be, uh, I will be back and part of the workforce. Um, but along with that, I have to tell you the reason why I was able to pretty much pump out so many episodes for the majority of the time that this show has been in existence was because for 17 months and really closer to 19 months, because I haven't worked in 17 months, but it's really been 19 months since I've actually had to commute to work because for two months I worked remote. So really for 19 months, anything involving the show, I had unlimited time to do research. So I, I'm hoping for, for those of you that are regular listeners, um, I appreciate each and every one of you. For those of you that are part-time listeners, I appreciate each and every one of you. And I am going to do my best to continue to bring you episodes every Monday. That is my goal. Um, I've said it a million times. This show has kept me sane over the last 17 months. Uh, it really has. It's been an, an amazing distraction during my lowest times because I can try to take my mind off things. So, uh, But now the extra hours that I'll have every day will be cut significantly, which is a good thing in real life but not a great thing when you're trying to put content out. So um, I'm not saying that things are going to get cut at all. Uh, obviously, this is part one of the Brandon DeFazio interview. Part two will be uh, presented to you next Monday. And I'm hoping in between now and then uh, I'm able to record with someone else. And I really want to do my best to keep the show consistent and bring you content every Monday. So that's the goal. And uh, I will definitely... Uh, keep you abreast of uh, all the developments regarding the show. But I'm, I'm hoping that this doesn't come up again because I'm hoping that the every Monday thing continues and I will work my ass off to bring you this content. So Brandon DeFazio. So this is the cool thing about, about talking to Brandon DeFazio. So uh, he played one year in Bridgeport, uh, went to... Um, uh, played well, played a game at the Coliseum when uh, the strike was the lockout was over. And believe me, there's a difference between a lockout and a strike. And it was a lockout. Played a uh, played a game up here against the Islanders, Bridgeport against the Islanders. And um, Brandon had a, a really good season in Bridgeport. I was really disappointed that they didn't uh, they didn't resign him, but they didn't. And um, but he's a guy you know plays with a lot of grit, plays with a lot of sandpaper. And uh, this guy can play for me any day of the week. I love his game. I love his attitude. What what I didn't know was, and as I was researching for this interview, Brandon DeFazio's dad is the guy I've already mentioned, Dean DeFazio. Now, if you're an old fart like me, Dean DeFazio appears on a lot of those mid-80s fight tapes. So when I saw, when I heard that, oh, his dad is Dean DeFazio, I'm like, oh, shit. I said, I... I remember him from those skipjacks tapes in the mid eighties. I was pumped. I'm like, this is awesome because during that year in Bridgeport, obviously there's, uh, there's no TV for me to watch. And when I watched the fights afterwards, they never mentioned it. So I didn't have any idea of, of <laughs> Dean being Brandon's dad. So I remember when I, when I had asked Brandon to come on and I started doing the research and it, it popped up that Dean was his pop. And I'm like, your dad's Dean DeFazio? And he's like, yeah. And I, I just was like, that's great. I used to watch your dad on my old Skipjack fight tapes and everything. Because if you if you collected tapes back then 
and, and and I also want to say that while while Dean was on these skipjack fight tapes, the guy did play 22 games for Pittsburgh in 83-84. So this is a guy that spent 22 games in the show. So not just uh, not just an American League player, but if you if you were a fan of or have these fight tapes back then, you know there's always guys. If you have these team tapes, there's always those guys that are there. Like uh, you could pick a team and say, okay, I know that guy was on on that those team's fight tapes for a couple of seasons. I know this guy was on that team's fight tapes for a couple of seasons. And um, and for Baltimore in the mid-'80s, it was Dean DeFazio. So I was pretty pumped about that. So uh, I don't know if Brandon told the old man, but I was really, really pumped about that. So that was something really cool. And uh, and we talk about Dean in this interview. And, um, you know, for, for those of you old enough like me that may remember him, I'm sure it'll bring back some memories too. But – um, I, I thought that was great, and um, I wish I had known that beforehand. I didn't, but uh, I know it now, and uh, hell, it makes the interview that much better. So um, without further ado, I would like to present to you part one of my chat with Brandon DeFazio. Stay tuned, like I said, next week for part two. I hope you people enjoy it. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, I am really, really happy to bring you my guest today. Uh, my guest today, just so you know, uh, currently in Germany, six hours ahead of me, uh, also just had a, a baby girl, and also playing in season. So the fact that Brandon DeFazio has given me uh, time to do this interview means a lot to me. And uh, Brandon, first of all, I want to say congratulations on, on the newest addition to your family. I hope that everyone is doing well. The baby, mom, little uh, big sister, and yourself. How's everybody doing? Yeah, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. It's, um, you know, it's been a pretty special week, obviously. You know, for, first off to you know, my first kid was out of season. So this is a little more hectic, but, you know, really, really, I, I think, and, you know, something me and my wife agreed on was doing it during the season, you, you know, you get to create a memory, right? Because you get to play and, um, you know, you, you hope to score a goal or do those kind of things and, uh, and create that memory where you have a win. You say, you know, we, we had you and a couple of days later, we got a, got a big win. So, and, uh, thankfully my wife's a warrior as they all are. And, uh, to, to watch, you know, what she, what she's been able to do and, and, man, and you know, then manage, uh, you know, the kids and, and allow me to go play was pretty cool. Yeah, I know, um, you know, in the time we live in now, everybody wants to be this powerful, fierce, you know, women, this and this and this. But I always mm-hmm. say I saw my mm-hmm. wife give birth to two mm-hmm. to my two sons. And mm-hmm. like to me, there's nothing greater in my life that I'm ever going to do than be a father and to watch a woman actually give birth. It's just yeah. it just blows your mind. So I know everyone wants to be this and wants to be that, but to me, it makes women magical that they actually create people. So uh, you know, yeah. congratulations again. Yeah, thanks. I couldn't agree more. It's uh, it's a process that really opens your eyes, and uh, you know, it's it's an it's an amazing experience, and uh, you really you know you rely heavily on your on your partner and your wife, and and uh, what they're capable of doing is is something else, Joe. It really is. Yeah, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah. normally the first question I ask everybody is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
who they were as a kid. But uh, as we discussed earlier, I did I was, when I was doing my research, uh, 99 out of 100 places have you being born in Oakville. I saw one place that had you being born in, uh, in Etobicoke. So can you please clear up this controversy? Where were you born? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, playing in Germany. I wish I was born in Germany because I have my passport. I play here for 10 years. But uh, <laughs> no, I, w- I was born in Toronto and um, it was Etobicoke basically, you know, at the time. And now, now they, you know, they, they call it Toronto. So on the password, it says Toronto, but, you know, I grew up in Oakville my whole life. So I think people generally have that on there, which I guess is wrong. You know, I am, yeah. am born in Etobicoke, you know, slash Toronto. So, so uh, the question, the follow-up question to that is that I ask everybody is who were you as a kid? So if I, if I saw you uh, at a rink as a young man uh, for me, and I know people that listen to this regularly are probably sick of hearing my example, but when I played street hockey on Long Island, I wanted to be Bobby Nystrom and Clark Gillies. Yeah. Uh, who did, yeah. I, I think I know the answer, but maybe I don't. Yeah. Uh, who did you want to be when you were a little kid? Well, I, I just like, I, I think what you're, you're saying and you're probably were guessing is, you know, I just wanted to be like my dad. Right. And, uh, you know, having him play and, and, uh, you know, as a young kid, I was just absolutely obsessed with hockey. And, you know, it was, it was something that I think, you know, I have three brothers and we're all obsessed with hockey. And, and I was, you know, that was, that was a family we had and very hockey oriented. And obviously when you look, you know, when you have your dad that played in the NHL, um, you know, he was a guy I always looked up to and, and I still do to this day, you know, he's still the guy uh, that, you know, helped me the most and was always there. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 actually it's nice now to have him. Uh, maybe sometimes a little too honest about hockey with me, but uh, you know, as as a kid, you know, to have a dad that's played, it's uh, you know such an advantage. And and like I said, really somebody that I looked up to. So, so for hockey fight nerds like myself, uh, when I was researching mm-hmm. this, and I don't know why I didn't put two and two together, but when I saw your dad, and 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 for the listeners. Uh, Brandon's dad is Dean DeFazio, and if the name sounds familiar, like I said, if you're a hockey fight nerd like myself, you saw that name a bunch of times on the old Baltimore Skipjacks tapes, right. and uh, and he played a handful of games in the NHL. So just uh, just to to give people a background on on your pops here, uh, mm-hmm. Dean DeFazio fought guys like Dave Richter, Michelle Petit, Jimmy Thompson, and it seemed like every time Baltimore <laughs> played Binghamton. He happened yeah. to always catch up with Shane Churla. Uh, yeah. Your dad ever tell you any kind of stories from the, from the old days, as I put it in air quotes? Yeah, yeah. Well, l- listen, I think I think his stories, you know, for this podcast might be even better because, <laughs> you know, if they're if you got the fight nerds and stuff like that, it's uh, as you say, you know, which I was too growing up, right? You know, you you try to watch as much as you can, and your dad, which he he couldn't stand, I'd bring up all the time, but. <laughs> Yeah, he's got some good stories. He, you know, the Shane Churla one, for instance, you know, I know um, was that building was extremely tough to play in from what he told me. Yep. And Shane Churla was extremely tough, too, and maybe a little out of his weight class. But, um, you know, he was he was fearless. You know, he, he certainly was. And uh, he would do do anything for his team. You know, I think it was a, a situation. He said that uh, Churla had a friend on the team. And basically, I think Dean might have beat him up or, or, you know, something along those lines. And, and then Shirley was not going to let him off the hook ever again. So he said every time they went into that building, it was out of control. He said he had to fight him three times in the one game. And, yep. 
he, he said, you know, I had a broken nose already going into it. Then I got to fight three times. And then he said, I go out for a beer after in Binghamton. He's trying to fight me at the bar, too. He said, <laughs> it, was, he said it was absolutely insane. I couldn't get away from this guy. But, uh, yeah, Dean's not the kind of guy to back down. And, you know, certainly as a father, he's, uh, he's been an example of being fearless and determined. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was a fucking animal. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I loved, loved watching the videos and stuff. Well, if, if your dad's listening to this, then, uh, you know, Dean, you should know you got a fan in me for sure, and I appreciate uh, the job that you did. Uh, mm-hmm. His time with the Penguins it, it, with the in the show short-lived mm-hmm. because I think someone stole his job the following season. Is that correct? Yeah, well, that's that's what he says, anyways, right? I don't know that him. I don't know that him and Mario were on the same same stratosphere, same level. But uh, hey, listen, it's it's his line, his go-to line is that Mario took his job. But uh, yeah, he was, you know, team was completely different than me. You know, he was drafted very high in the OHL, and um, you know, drafted in the NHL, and pretty good player, like really really good player. Had uh, had some skill too, and obviously some grit, and uh, was a really fast player, which is again the opposite to me. You know, I'm not the fastest player, so um, yeah, he's he he. You know, he was the old school style, right? Yep. Which is what you probably have on this podcast a lot. So I'm, <laughs> I uh, I understand it, and I, and I love eating up all the content. You know, I love listening to those guys that played in that era. You know, I, I have all the time in the, in the world for those kind of guys, and uh, including him and and all the guys they played with, and all the guys you probably looked up to or watched. Yep. And uh, man, what a what a different world, right? You know, you had to be yeah. had to be on at all times, and uh, that's it was it was dog eat dog out there back then. So. Um, Things have started to change quite a bit. So, yeah. Well, salute to your dad. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I appreciate what he did. But uh, as you said, you have three brothers. You're, you guys are a hockey family now. I only know of mm-hmm. two. I know your brother Jeremy uh, played mm-hmm. at uh, SUNY Brockport. Uh, you have a brother Cole, who I don't know what his brain. He's a goalie. Uh, <laughs> you know, the goalies are yeah. a little weird. I don't know how that happened. And do you uh. have another brother that played? Yeah, so so Jeremy, you're right. He he played D three at Brockport, and he was he was a hard nosed player too. Probably, you know, he we discussed with him. You know, once he finished, he was thinking about maybe playing Southern Pro and, and giving it a sh- you know giving it a shot. And I said, Jeremy, I said, there's there's some freaks in that league that will you know they're going to be trying to eat your eat your lunch every day. And uh, you know, I said, listen, he can go back to school, which he he did, and. Uh, Obviously, everybody wants to play, but he was a great player and ended up deciding to stay and, and doing his schooling further. And then my, the one that you missed there, his name's Cameron. He played junior B, uh, you know, like in in Ontario. And and then now he's an electrician. And then the youngest one is is just uh, starting his junior A career as a goalie. So he's, uh, you know, pretty typical story. It's funny because. You know, you say the youngest always ends up being goalie, but that yeah. wasn't really always the case. You know, like, and he's so much younger. Like, he's 13 young, years younger than me, but um, really talented goalie and starting for our team in, in, in Oakville for the Blades. And, you know, all my all my buddies last night, he had his first preseason game, and they won 11-2. And then all my buddies, because I played for the Blades, they all went. And, you know, they're watching them now, which is pretty cool to see because they all, you know, we all played for the same team. So it's been fun to watch, you know, Dean and, and all the boys, my brothers and, and buddies having beers watching watching the youngest play now. It's a pretty neat experience. All right, so everybody keep an eye out for Cole DeFazio, uh, goalie yeah. again. I don't know if the older brothers were always beating him up and maybe took some shots to the head and he ended up in net, but uh, but I'll be looking yeah. out for him. I wish him all the best. 
Yeah, thanks. He's uh, no, I appreciate that. It's really cool. You know, I hope you know it, with COVID, it's tough, right? Like you know, everybody's gone through it, but you know, the kids that got hit hit the hardest are kind of that age group, yes. right? You know, they they missed a whole year of playing, and you know, he was already nineteen, so he's jumping right into junior A, being a starter as a twenty year old, and you know, he's got the one year, but uh, he's had some good people shooting on him in his life. You know, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny T used to play road hockey with him and, you know, Stroms and uh, we're using, using him a lot with, you know, the Strom brothers and Sezikis and quite a few of those guys were skating, trying to get ready for the bubble. And uh, Cole was out there taking their shots all the time. So he, he loves it. He's been around it. He's been around good players and uh, we'll see how he does. Well, good for him. Matt. I wish him all the best. So thank we're you. Gonna, you're welcome. We're going to start, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the halt and hurricanes, is that, um, triple a midget hockey was that is that the level it was yeah exactly yeah okay yeah we had uh i had an up you know obviously midget isn't in reality kind of the direction you hope you can mm-hmm. you know you go to but being that it wasn't drafted to the ohl um you know i tried out for basically every team you could possibly think of trying out for and uh you know wasn't able to make a team you know not even at junior c level or or junior b or junior a you know i mean i I just couldn't do it, and my body wasn't quite, you know, developed, right? So I had had the instincts and, and you know, was thinking to do the right things at that age, but uh, just hadn't developed. And, you know, that midget year was huge for me, actually, you know, to, to go back, regroup. Then you start to become a man, and, uh, you know, all those things you wish you could have done are finally working when you actually hit someone, you're not falling down, and, you know, you're seeing people go the other way, and you're like, wow, this is, this is a lot easier. So it was uh, an important year for me. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, because you averaged almost a point a game, 32 points, 36 games, 109 penalty minutes. Is this where your style um, started to form? Because uh, I, I would say you're more of a power forward than an enforcer mm-hmm. based on the number of points mm-hmm. you put up and, and your penalty minutes. I know you didn't back down, but is this is this the age or maybe a little bit younger? And especially with the, with your dad there as a role model, mm-hmm. is this is this the style you wanted to, to carry on with? Well, I, I think with him, he always demanded hard work, right? So, you know, and, and naturally to be a good teammate, you know, so, you know, putting putting both those things together, then, yeah, you know, I would say I always tried to be those things before, like I said, but if you're, you know, you're not, you're underdeveloped at, you know, 13 and 14 and 15, where some of these people are becoming men and, and you're not, you know, you're kind of left behind in the physicality, not because you want to, but just because of circumstance and, um you know, certainly figured out pretty quickly that year that I could be a power forward and, and, you know, my body finally caught up to, like I said, where I was thinking and what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, and, and again, like you said, with, with Dean, you know, that was, that was, you know, number one was to work hard and, and to always give your best and always to be, uh, at a, at a level where, you know, you, you never looked in the mirror and, uh, and felt you left something out there. So, you know, that year things started to turn, the physicality started to work and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he, he helped coach that team a little bit that year. We had John Anderson's kid actually on our team. Oh, wow. It was great. So so Johnny was around, you know, as much as he could, but he was coaching uh, in the heyday of the Wolves at the time. And then we had another guy, um, his name was, his son was Cody Creighton, and we called him Bugsy. But he played for the Marlies with John Anderson too, like the, you know, back when they had the OHL team. Mm-hmm. So we had, we had good people around for that midget group actually, which is uh, – you know, somewhat of a blessing, right? Because you're learning from pros and guys that have played rather than, you know, you never know what kind of 
coaches are going to get at that level, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes people think they, they know a lot, and in reality, they don't. And that's, <laughs> that's just, the, you know, that's just the way minor hockey can be. And, you know, being in, in that program with all those guys hanging around, uh, you learn pretty quickly how to play. So, so uh, we're going to touch on this a couple of times in the, in the interview, um, and I already discussed it. I think you're, you're an inspirational story for a lot of, a lot of kids out there that want to pursue hockey as a, as a dream. Um, if you're a kid growing up in Michigan, maybe you want to play for Michigan or Michigan State, or if you're a football player in Texas or Miami, you want to go to those big schools. For a kid growing up in Ontario that obviously loved the game, um, how did you react when you weren't drafted into the OHL? How did that affect you? It, it's, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought this up because I really do appreciate to be able to talk about it because I think it should be talked about more because you're just a kid, yeah. right? And you're, uh, you know, like how quickly when you're 16, it doesn't matter if you want to be a hockey player, but if you fail at that age, yeah. how easily can you, you know, first off quit and, and think, okay, well, I, I just can't do this, right? Um, but you know, it's tough. I mean, you, you think about your peers at, at high school when you got to show up the next day and, uh, everybody's, you know, excited that they got drafted to the OHL, which is almost in a sense that, you know, specifically back then, you know, there wasn't a lot of talk about going to school all the time. You know I mean? Guys were doing it, but you know, the OHL was the big thing and it was tough. You know, um, I actually favored to my mom on, on this one. Um, she was kind of the backbone and had been through the career with Dean and, uh, you know, was there to, you know, talk things through when you, you think the, the world's ending and everything's closing in on you and, you know, what are you going to do with your life? But you're only, you know, you're, you know, I think it was 15, 16. It's like, geez, like people, I always say with the OHL draft, you know, they could get drafted in the second or third round because they were very good or, or, or you know, they matured at a level. But by the time they're 19, you know, they might want to be a skateboarder. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's like, it's such a different different way that works, and, and I, I see tweets all the time. You know, I think Bob McKenzie's one of the guys that says it. He says, you know, everybody going into the OHL draft, just understand, and they'll throw some stats out where, that you know, so-and-so played this many games, and, and it's just spot on. Like, it's not the end, and it's not the, you know, everything for you, and it's hard when you're a kid. You think it is, but, um, yeah, it was, you know, what defined me early uh, was that I wasn't going to be the kind of person that was going to be told uh, what I could and, and couldn't be, um, you know, and that was a big point in my life to develop and become more mature. And, and almost in a sense, you, when your back's against the wall, then you only have one way out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's no other choice, you know, whereas other kids had other choices, you know, I didn't have that. It was just going to be work ethic and trying to develop your game. And, and I was actually fortunate not to be drafted to OHL because everything worked out, I think, in the end for the better. So, um, The uh, OPJHL, that's the uh, Ontario Provincial Junior League, is that, that's, uh, that's where you ended up instead of the OHL. So is that tier two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It'd be tier two. Yeah. Okay. And um, I would imagine that, I mean, you're you're in hockey mad Ontario, so even tier two mm-hmm. junior hockey has to be pretty intense as well. Yeah, it, it, it is, and specifically back then, um, I'm not sure the exact number, but you're seeing a lot of overage OHL players playing the league. Um, you know, the the quality of hockey was very very high. It was you know a different league back then when I first started because it was kind of before the era where you know, you're going to see in Ontario, there was a lot of 
guys buying teams that probably shouldn't have been. You know, it was back then. It was you know, if you deserved to play, you played, and and if you didn't, you didn't play. And uh, you know, it wasn't as quite a, you know as I say spread out. But you know, we was you know, I think the team I ended up making uh, you know in junior A or tier two was you know crazy. You know, I think we had 10, 10 guys get scholarships. Um, you know, we had. You know, a guy like Cody Golubuff played in the NHL. I mean, P.K. Subban was really, really close to playing for us, actually, that year. He ended up not. He ended up making the OHL. But um, a lot of guys hanging around that had good careers in the OHL. And, you know, I think I think he learned pretty quickly. It was a different level. So it, w- it was good back then. Really, really good. So you started in Milton. And then at some point mm-hmm. during the season, you were traded to Oakville. Now, because you were raised in Oakville, I think a lot of times that first trade, especially at a young age, is difficult to deal with, but in a sense, you were going home. Uh, I, and I don't know the geography between say, yeah. where Milton is and Oakville, but was this something that ended up being a blessing for you? Well, I, I was crushed at first, right? Like I was, you know, just a kid, and you're playing your first year. And we were we were number one in Canada. I think we we never lost at home. We lost maybe three times or four times on the road. So this is kind of wow. a team where you felt. You know, you were pretty excited. You thought you were going to win a national championship. You know, really, you know, I thought, again, you know, similar to the OHL draft, it was like, geez, like, what is going on? And you're dealing with all these things as a kid, and it's all surrounding you, and it crushes you. But, um, again, like, you know, in my career, there's certain things that needed to happen, but you didn't know at the time, and, and that was one of them because I got traded to a place where I could actually play, whereas, you know, I was playing on a very, very good team as a young kid, which we all know what happens is you're going to, probably play less minutes and you're not going to develop, which is, which is fine. You can look at it both ways, right? You're around better players and you're, you're going to become a better player. Um, but at the second time, you know, if you're young, you need to play. So I get traded home and uh, we ended up beating them in playoffs. So, you know, for, for me, it was, uh, you know, that was, that was everything, you know, we took them to game seven and we ended up winning and what ended up happening in that playoff run is I had a good playoff run playing more minutes. We, you know, we do go to the, we win our side of the league and, and then lose, but you know that's how I got my scholarship. So if uh, if I don't get traded, I probably don't get it. You know, what I mean, at least not then. And uh, and who knows? So and and when you're playing for Oakville, are you are you uh, able to live at home with your parents? Yeah, exactly. Like I I stayed home with with both places. They are fairly close, okay. but um, you know, just being that it is Oakville, and I was from Oakville, it was it was a cool experience. I mean, it's not. Uh, no, it's not the NHL or anything like that, and it's certainly not the OHL either. But um, just to be home and play for your hometown team and the community you grew up. You know, I, I played minor hockey with the you know Oakville my whole life basically, and uh, no, it was, it was special. It was special to be around. We had great ownership back then too. Like I said, it was it was owners back then that just wanted to help people. You know, it wasn't charging people five to seven thousand dollars to play junior hockey you know they were paying for you to play uh you know with equipment and everything and they treated you so so well so it was uh it was a good program in oakville and it still is you know that was kind of the start of where where they started and years after that they were winning and and always doing well so that's a good place for me to have been and the head coach was don edwards is that the former sabers goalie yeah yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. okay. I was wondering that, yeah. and it's weird because it could, there could be fifty Don Edwards in a three-block right. radius somewhere. But I'm like, oh, yeah. I wonder if that's the Sabres goalie I watched. Yeah, no, yeah, he was he was good too, and he was, uh, you know, good coach, and 
Yeah, I really, really liked him. And again, like to have, like I said before, with my midget team, but just to have pros around, I think is so important. You know, because they've done it, they can actually help you. They've played it. They've been in the fire, as I always say, and they have experiences that you just can't get in life, you know, in, in hockey at least. And, uh, yeah, Donnie was great, great to me, treated us all with, with care and love and made it a big family. And uh, you know, I think he only coached a few years and then maybe went to the OHL for a little bit, but, uh, you know, not, not much after. Yeah. Um, around this time, is this where you started training in the dungeon with uh, people like Matty Molson and John Tavares, or, or ha- was that earlier or later? Yeah, that's that's cool, man. The dungeon, what a spot. Um, <laughs> like, it literally was, uh, you know, I, I think people glorify where they work out because that's, you know, what they want that to be, right? But that yeah. place was the dungeon. You know, it was, it was a guy that was, um, his name's Rich Clark, but he... So he had Matt, Matty would be an original, you know, original member who, you know, for, for me, Matt Molson was the guy, you know, he, he was the guy that I looked up to. He was the guy that was not drafted the OHL. He was the guy that got the scholarships Cornell and, and at that time was, you know, trying to break into the NHL and, you know, slowly did, did that. Right. And that guy, um, what an amazing story, right? So to have a, have a role model right in front of your face every day when you're 17, um, was neat and you know back to the dungeon you know those guys were just animals like I, I couldn't even like Matt Molson's work ethic like I don't know that people really I mean he's playing still and doing extremely yep. well right um like that, that guy trained and, and all those guys you know Rich's son Wes Clark who works for the Leafs now and there's a few other college guys and pros and, and Matty's buddies but man they were on a different level and it was just a small basement in a house you know like you could barely even you know if you if you were trying to push a barbell up you know you'd hit the roof and it would knock down and you know the trainer would go upstairs and these guys would start wrestling like matt molson and wes and all these guys are fucking going at it and yeah it was a jungle atmosphere but it was exactly what i needed because it, it, you know as important as anything has been in my life that place was maybe as important as all of them because it defined who I was going to be. And I saw Matt and I saw these guys and I said, okay, I want to be like them. And, you know, Johnny T was there too as a, as a younger guy. And I, I would almost guess if you asked him too, he feels the same because, you know, those are the guys we grew up around every day. And, uh, you know, they were, they were the guys who really, really formed who we wanted to be and how we wanted to work. So, um, did you always want, I mean, obviously I say always, but I'm sure you wanted to play in the OHL, but, <laughs> But aside from that, was college something you had your eye on from a somewhat early age? I, I think at times, like, you know, you brought up Michigan before. And, um, you know, we, like when I was younger, we did a couple of those tours, you know, with the minor hockey. And it really was eye-opening, right? Because, you know, the like the fans, if you go to a Michigan game, it's just out of control. Yeah. I mean, and then, it's your, and then it's your peers. You get to go party after. And, yeah. you know, it's... You know, that's a whole different world than the OHL, right? But I didn't think much about it just because my dad had played in the OHL. I wanted to play in the OHL. I just thought that was the thing to do. You know, I had the opportunity pretty close, uh, and I was almost going to play for the Ice Dogs. Um, and ended up, you know, what it came down to was, um, you know, my dad. He said, look, it, like, you know, I, I had a good career. Where I, you know, I, I got to live my dream, but, you know, once I was done, I was done. And you know, I didn't have anything to fall back on. You know, thankfully, became a firefighter shortly after he retired and all worked out. But, you know, it was more of a grind, right? And he said, that, you know, I just don't think this is the right time for you to go go to the OHL. Let's let's see if we can get a scholarship. And, 
you know, my mom was big on education and, 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 and the bottom line is, uh, what it gave me was more time to develop. Right. And, you know, that's probably what I needed more so than, you know, playing the OHL and maybe not playing the minutes you need to. So, uh, was Clarkson your first choice? Um, did you have other options? Were uh, other schools hot after you? I think I signed so early. Like I said, I got that, you know, I got traded in my first year and then had the big playoffs. That, you know, Clarkson offered me a full scholarship and my parents almost fell off their chairs. They were so <laughs> fired up. So, like, there was no, like, you know, you don't say no. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't get deep into the process, you know. Like, they were first visit. I went down. It was beautiful, you know. And, again, I guess Clarkson being that, they do have a really big historic program, you know, where hockey is huge there, yep. small town feel. And then you, you look at the education, it's pretty high level. So, you know, there wasn't really anything else you needed to look for, right? right. Like I wasn't, I wasn't overly intrigued and in, in hoping it got, you know, do you get to play at, you know, a big, big school or, or whatever. I felt like, listen, these guys come first. They want you. They offer you that. And my parents are, you know, near in tears on the way home because think about the effect it has on their family, right? Yep. You know, they're talking about a you know, $130,000, $140,000 education that you mm-hmm. get to have and, and get to do that. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of thought I needed to put into it, and I felt comfortable doing it. So, uh, Tell me about George Roll. He was your head coach all four years. Uh, what kind of coach was he? How did you enjoy playing for him? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think George was, um, you know, I think I think at school it's different. I think, you know, you can't, you know, there's always, it's a little bit more pressure than people understand because you, there's no escape, right? So at times it can be hard on you as a player because, you know, if you're not the team you're supposed to be, it's not like, okay, hey, listen, I'm just going to, gonna try again and uh you know trade me to wherever right and uh that that doesn't have to do with george but you know there's a lot of pressure on those guys at school and uh you know our first year were incredible it was amazing but then our you know my next two years and and even the third year not as good as probably expected and you know that pressure is a lot and uh i think george handled it really well you know he's a really really good person he has a really kind heart and uh you know, at, at times it can be, it was tough, but then at times, you know, it was amazing. And, yeah. you know, that's probably like, like anything in life. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we, we probably didn't hit the expectations we wanted to at Clarkson. And, and I took that personally, you know, it was a lot being a younger kid, um, you know, not hitting the expectations you expect uh, with, with the program. And you feel as if you let people down, but uh, it's all experiences, right? And it yeah. kind of defines who you are and, you know, I just kept trying. We kept trying with that team. And I think after going to the tournament, being one win away from the Frozen Four my first year, you know, to really suffer the next two years was uh, was a difficult time in the program and a difficult, difficult time on George, too. And, you know, the bottom line was we sorted it out. And by my fourth year, I thought we were, you know, a team that competed at least. You know, we, we tried and we certainly had an opportunity. And, uh, yeah, like I said, you learn, you learn a lot about yourself at school. What was that like as a freshman uh, making the NCAA? I, I think uh, unless you're in a hockey mad state like, say, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Michigan, mm-hmm. Uh, here in New York, uh, you know, NCAA hockey, not a big deal, nowhere close to, say, uh, as basketball. So, right. obviously, the basketball tournament, everybody knows, everyone does their brackets and everything. But uh, mm-hmm. as a freshman going into that tournament, what, what was that whole experience like? It was uh, it was pretty special because, um, like I said, like like in your spot on, like like of course New York, you know, it's going to be basketball in the tournament and stuff like that, and 
but you know Clarkson being the history that it does have with hockey that there is um you know for us to be in that situation was was a huge thing for the program and you know to win a game you know it's you know it's it's so odd as a pro now because you got to win four mm-hmm. and you know these there's these long huge drawn out battles you have right and it's a completely different thing whereas you know the NCAA is a one off and you know it's it's you get your one shot and if you miss it then it's gone till next year mm-hmm. but uh, we were able to win a game, and then we lost one nothing to Michigan. You know, and, and evidently didn't didn't make the Frozen Four. But you know, it, it was the first time in a really really long time that Clarkson had won a uh, tournament game. So, you know, there's a lot of people in Albany, and a lot of people excited about it. You know, there's a lot of passion for Clarkson hockey, and and that was that was you know one of the best moments for sure in my time there. So how did you find the transition going from junior to college? You know, junior, you're probably wearing a, a half shield. Now college, you're wearing a full mm-hmm. cage. Um, style of play is probably a little bit different. How How is the transition for you personally? Uh, I think, I guess if, I, if you look back on it now, being 33, um, probably wasn't 100% ready to be as good as I, you'd, you'd want to be, but... Yeah. You know, there's probably a lot of people that say that about their freshman year. But like I said, we were a good team, so I got to play with good players. And, you know, I didn't have the numbers you probably want, but I learned a lot. And to be in those situations with a ton of pressure as a freshman was, you know, I only went one year out of real eligibility. So I was fairly young for our team to be playing those big minutes in the tournament. You know, to be trusted just to play was a big deal. You know what I mean? But I think at at the same time, you know, had I taken one more year of playing junior, you know, probably come in a little bit more ready, you know, than I was at the time, just mentally, like, you know, and you, you have to play like, you know, and you have to develop your skills and all this stuff. And, and I felt like probably one more year would have been the right thing for me. But at the same time, like I said, those, those experiences also helped me. So, um, but you know, I, uh, I guess, you know, just to, just to be there and to watch because that, that year we had, uh, you know, probably three or four guys sign in the NHL right after. And to see that whole process, I guess I, I'm pretty pretty excited that I had that because, you know, it really drove me to be like, okay, you know, these guys can do it. And it's pretty cool that you got to play with, you know, Grant Klitsum, Steve Zaleski, and, you know, Dave Leggio. And, you know, there was a few more guys that uh, that had signed and, and signed and left to play in the American League, and I just thought it was the coolest thing to watch. So, Yeah, and I guess as a freshman – you're thinking that could be you in a few years. Sure. Absolutely. And it, you know, it gives you hope. Right. And, and, uh, you know, Sean Waller was there the year before I was, and I was kind of the guy that was supposed to play like Sean and he had signed the, you know, a big deal with Ottawa, I think at the time. And, uh, you know, so you say, you, you say they're, you know, bringing you in and say, we think you can play like him. And, you know, that was huge for me and, uh, to see, to see him be, you know, signing and, and playing pro and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, with all those guys, it was, it was pretty easy to start dreaming, you know, at, at a young age and, and probably important. And I think like a lot of guys in college, um, your second year, you could really see the difference in your numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played less games, but you more than doubled your points. So I guess right. that that's really just a comfort thing I would imagine. Yeah. And, and I, th- and again, like I said, like, you know, I was fairly not, not young cause I wasn't a true freshman when I went. Right. right? But I was one year out and, like I said, maybe that was probably the year I think in my head that made more sense of where I was development wise. But do you do you get from A to B without doing A? So, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, for sure, playing more, 
you know, obviously being more comfortable, uh, you know, being on campus, already knowing what you're doing, you know, handling school at a different level because, you know, your first year it's a lot and, uh, and then playing more, you know, developing into a role that uh, where you're getting some power play time and, and doing some different things where you're playing more minutes. And, you know, that was the natural progression, I guess. And as a sophomore, uh, one of the, I guess, the new recruits uh, that came in is someone who spent some time in the NHL, someone who I can never say his last name right, so I'm just going to call him <laughs> Boro because I say yeah. his name differently. Uh. So, first of all, can you tell me how he says his name? Because the announcers say it different, I say it different. As someone who played with him for three years, tell me how Mark Boro says his last name. I think it's Borowicki, but... yeah. Um... Yeah, what an that guy's an animal. What a career he's he's created from you know being a fearless competitor, and he was already you could already see it that first year, and um, you know like he uh, he worked hard, and you know you look at what he's been able to do in the NHL with you know probably a, a skill set that was maybe a little bit further behind, but his work ethic was at such a higher level than you know maybe anybody at the time, and uh, you know truly was you know what he's doing in the NHL now is it's pretty amazing to watch. So he was. Uh, he was a big, big part of, um, you know, changing things and how he, he did things. And, uh, yeah, Mark's, Mark's an animal on the ice, that's for sure. And he already was back then. You know, you could really see that uh, he was the kind of guy that was going to give you the same thing every night. And uh, clearly he's still doing it. So Yeah, um, yeah I call him Barwicky or Bar, Barwicky, mm-hmm. but I've heard announcers call him, like, somehow they – do some form of like Boroshevsky or this and that. And it just totally confuses me. I've never met the guy, so I can't, I can't get it straight from the horse's mouth. But if you're calling him Borowiecki, then I'm going to say that's, that's good enough for me. Cause that's about what I call him anyway. But uh, yeah, no, it was yeah. cool to see that you guys ended up playing together for three years. Yeah. 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 yeah it was cool. And you know, we, we both actually left at, uh, we leave, I think we left at the same time because he signed in Ottawa and then I signed in Wilkes-Barre, and then, you know, we're playing against each other in the rookie tournament right away. You know, he's you know, playing for Ottawa, and I'm playing for Pittsburgh, and in that you know, back then it was in Oshawa. You know, they're all over the place now. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty neat Pretty neat to right away play against someone you played with for, you know, three years. And, you know, Mark was obviously, like I said, his, his work ethic was, was uh, pretty highly valued, and, and it looks like people were right, you know, with his, with his character and how he does things. Uh, I know he's... He's a good teammate for people, and the things he does every night are the things that people don't want to do, and uh, he continues to do it still. So, uh, building off that strong sophomore season, you go into your junior year, which which seemed like everything really came together. First of all, they, you're named alternate captain. Uh, you're second mm-hmm. on the team in scoring, second on the team in penalty minutes. You're tied for the team lead in power play goals. Is this is this the year that every you felt everything came together? Yeah, I think so. I think. I think, uh, you know, I think junior year is kind of a big year at school where you're really, you know, at your, at your peak, let's say, of, of, you know, not a peak, but you're at your level where you can finally find yourself and the, the confidence comes with it, right? You know, your third year on campus, your third year in a program, third year with a coach, and, uh, you know, like you said, now you're in a leadership role where you really are trying to be that for, for the younger guys, and you're trying to show them what Clarkson Hockey is all about, and this is how we do things, and, and uh yeah, it was it was nice to be relied on, and obviously, you know, a big big part of the you know having that letter meant a lot to me. You know, college programs have a lot of history, and anytime you can can wear a letter, and you know, specifically earlier than your senior year was uh, 
was a huge honor, huge honor for me. Like I couldn't, couldn't explain the feeling and, uh, to, to see my, you know, my teammates care about what you're saying and, and really develop that side of your life too. You know, it, it defined who I was, you know, that it wasn't easy all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just, you're just a kid and you're trying to deal with, um, you know, so many different things of, you know, we didn't have a great year that year, which is you know, a lot, a lot of pressure on the older guys, which, um, you know, it, it teaches you to deal with those things right away. And, uh, you know, partial to why I think college hockey is important is that you, you do and are able to learn those things on the fly. And, uh, you know, you're put in situations that you have to be mature about, you know, you have to handle a lot of different things and you have to handle a lot of people, um, you know, in a college atmosphere. So to keep people in the right direction and trying to do the right things was, uh, you know, was a task that I really enjoyed doing. Um, now, I think this was the season you also had a bit of a health scare that people originally thought may have been your heart, but it ended up not being as serious as originally thought, correct? Yeah, your, your research is like, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> like, these are, these are things like, uh, oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, <laughs> Thank that you. Was, yeah, that's uh you know, that's cool. I think yeah. I think it's it makes doing this a lot more fun for me because you know these are all things that are so so long ago now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I did I did have a heart scare. You know, it was it was basically a heart, but what it ended up being was not my heart. So it was the lining around my heart. Um, it was a thing called pericarditis or something something along those lines. Um, basically, your your lining of your heart becomes like sandpaper. So I was just one day sitting there and. Uh, you know, you just can't breathe, and it was an unexplainable feeling, but obviously a scary moment, and, uh, you know, I was thankful to have the teammates I had and yeah. get me to the hospital quick, and, you know, thank, thankfully, like you said, it really wasn't a heart thing, you know, it was just something around your heart, which, you know, it's it's still scary, and it took some time, but being, you know, the, the way I grew up and with my dad that, uh, you know, as quick as I was allowed to, um, I don't think I missed too many games, maybe maybe two, maybe four, but I'm not, I can't remember exactly. It was definitely not longer than two weeks and, uh, and I was back and I'll never, I'll never forget because being that it is around your heart, you never know. And you start thinking things that could, you know, lead to not being able to do what you love and, uh, to get back on the ice. I'll never ever forget that feeling because, you know, the teammates are banging their sticks and they were really happy to have me back and yeah. uh, pretty emotional time just to, just to be back out there. So, um, but you're, everything's good. Like you're, I'm assuming that you're, you've been playing all these years. So I'm assuming everything is good now, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It was just, like I said, it's more, it's, it's difficult to say like, cause you know, people were asking, but it was more like a virus, you know, okay. instead of saying you have a heart problem, you know, it's more, a, uh, you know, a virus around the heart that could be dealt with. And, uh, you know, once we figured that out and with, like I said, the support of the coaches and, you know, the program and, and getting in the right way, it, it was actually, you know, in reality, it was, it was no problem. So. Gotcha. Um, who, who would you say, well, who would you say you would know? I don't, uh, Clarkson's rival, like the biggest rival you had during your four years yeah. there, who was it? Oh, St. Lawrence for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a crazy, you know, that's one of the biggest rivalries and, and one of the biggest, you know, I think if you would ask any person that played for either St. Lawrence or Clarkson, they're going to talk about that rivalry because we're only eight miles away. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And they've been going at it for how many ever years, 80 plus, maybe more. Right. And, 
you know, these, the, those are the big games. You know, those are the fun games, especially on campus, right? Like mm-hmm. I said, you're around your peers. You're in the dorms. They're banging on your doors. They're going crazy. They got, you know, a thousand people sleeping on the field waiting to go into the rink, you know, wow. the day before you're walking in. And, you know, to, and then, you know, on the flip side, you, you drive eight miles down the road and, you know, you got the 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 police escort and people screaming at your bus, and you get in there. And St. Lawrence has an old barn. Like, yeah. if you, if you look at that place, it's it's small, but it's exactly what you'd want for a robbery game. And man, they were uh, they were really really cool games to be a part of, and and something that is part of if you go to Clarkson or if you go to St. Lawrence, those games, whether you're a player or not, those are uh, those are a big deal and a big deal to be part of. You know, I played and I actually lost, which sucks, but. Uh, to St. Lawrence in, in the playoffs, but man, it was out of control. Like really, it was uh, it was a different level. The hate that those two teams have for each other because you're the same age and you're going to school, and it's uh, it's all out war and uh, fuck a lot a lot of fun, a lot of good memories, and uh, you know something I something I miss probably the most is those games and to see you know Chio Arena and Clarkson and the people. It's just you know it's bananas. Absolutely bananas watching. So, so the college game isn't conducive uh, for fighting. You're basically wearing a suit of armor. It makes a lot of people braver than they actually would be. Uh, but in your four years there, did you ever get involved in any sort of scraps, uh, uh, anything like that, or was there any sort of incidents that were you came close to a fight, anything like that? Like, yeah, you, you, I mean, that's kind of the problem, right, with college is that uh, you're going to get that that false sense of security that you just don't get once you live in the real world and uh, you start you start playing the jungle in the Iron League. It's uh, you better be ready to to back up your physicality because you can't just get away with it. So I don't I don't know that you know there was any situations where you're ever going to say because you know, we know what a real fight is and yeah. there wasn't real fights in college and. You know, there never was, but when, you know, I, we, we just touched on that rivalry, but mm-hmm. St. Lawrence had Brandon Bullig okay. and, uh, and, you know, he's nails and, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's done real well for himself and, and obviously someone I respect and, uh, what he, what he does and what he's capable of doing and always a tough player and always a fierce competitor. And, you know, there was always the talk that he, you know, he could go and, and stuff like that, but you know, there's nothing he could do in college, but he ended up leaving after two years and, mm-hmm right away went into fighting some big big boys so uh clearly what what they were saying was was right about him and that he oh, was yeah. going to be capable be capable of handling himself at a, at a level which you know i think sometimes you can see that in college you know there's there's a lot of guys that will hide like you said behind the armor and they're never going to see really you know once they get into the reality of playing in in pro it's it's going to fade right because yep. Um, you know, it's a lot different and you have to be able to do that. But then there is so many guys that actually are capable um, that, you know, have that first, you know, at, at first, you know, oh, well, you just played college and, uh, you know, that's not always the case, right? There are yep. some guys that come and we've seen it with some big boys, you know, um, you look at Prince and all the big boys that come from there, right? Yep. And, oh, yeah. Uh, it, you know, and I'm and I'm I'm certain that you would never look at Princeton and say, "Well, this is going to breed this is going to breed enforcers." Yeah. And and I'm also and I'm also certain that in the American League, you know, people are probably saying, "Well, this guy just went to Princeton," and they're like, "Oh shit!" Mm-hmm. You know, exactly, this, exactly. This, this guy's so is that rare? You know, maybe, but uh, yeah, guys are still can do it. Uh, it just depends on if they're if they're capable of handling it, right? But yep. uh, yeah, it's different. All right, so. I know, uh, obviously not from personal experience, but hat tricks, they're not easy. 
and getting them in consecutive <laughs> games is near impossible. But <clears throat> you did that in college. You had a natural hat trick versus Quinnipiac, mm-hmm. which my wife always says I say wrong. Uh, and then you followed it up with a hat <laughs> trick against Sacred Heart. Uh, yeah. Was everything like, did you not want to stop playing after that Sacred Heart game? You just want to keep going because everything is going in the net. Yeah, that was that was really cool, and you know, not not something that happens, uh, you know, if if ever at all, just to have a hat trick, right? Is uh, and then to to have another one the next game was out of control, and um, you know, it's not something I think at Clarkson hadn't been done in you know forty five years or you know something like that, and uh, you know, it, and also for me, it was kind of the wave of. You know, it's my senior year, and it was at Christmas, and then you're starting to get a little bit of talk. You know, maybe this guy can be a guy that can sign. Obviously, that didn't didn't happen, but I think, you know, it's really cool to have that where you have six goals and seven points in two games, and it kind of felt like for me in my coming out party where people could say, because I am playing physical every night, can he be a power forward? So I think it was important, but on the flip side was that, that second game you talked about timing you know, you want to keep playing and you just want to keep going because you're absolutely rolling. But we had Christmas break, so uh-huh. we were, you know, we're, we're off for like three and a half weeks and I'm probably feeling way too good about myself going home for the holidays and, uh, <laughs> you know, hanging with the family thinking it's all all done and everything's great and I'm just going to sign a sign the deal. But, no, I mean, I, di- I didn't think like that, but, the yeah. you know, the time, the time off was probably not the most beneficial, you know, for where I was at. And, and also the team was playing well, but... Shit happens, and you know I had a, a pretty good year, but not uh, you know I wasn't able to keep up the hat trick. So you know. Well, my guess is if you walked into that house for Christmas break thinking you were all that in a bag of chips, Dean would have probably <laughs> brought you down a peg or two right away. Yeah, oh, fuck yeah, he would just he just say I don't I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but no, no, I mean we we're, we're excited about yeah. it, but uh, yeah, he's pretty grounding. You know, it's funny though, and I and I touched on it before, but my mom's more grounding than Dean is. You know, yeah. Dean's Dean's hard, and you know he's cut from that cloth, and there's no doubt. And uh, but my mom might be even harder, which I feel like with a lot of these stories with guys that have played, yep. and, you know, their moms are pretty hardcore too. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she was always on me to stay grounded and, and to be within yourself and, and to focus and, uh, you know, her work ethic, no doubt. I can promise you, um, you know, Dean is a hard worker that played extremely hard and did all the things like, you know, we're talking about that we love, but you know, the, my, my discipline and hard work for, for sure came from my mom. And, uh, that's basically what, uh, what I've relied on my whole career. So now I don't know exactly when this was, or if it was a regular occurrence, but I believe that I found footage of you actually suiting up as a goalie for practice. Was that something that was yeah. regular or did, <laughs> did you need another goalie? What was that about? I don't know. I mean, you're just a kid being a fucking idiot, to be honest. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure why I was, uh, I was doing that. I don't know. It was probably like, you know, one of those breaks where you're not playing for a while. And I don't know. It's like a captain's practice just messing around. But I don't know how smart that was in reality looking back. But yeah, <laughs> who knows? I probably just saw it. Like it's something, something new to do and just went for it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably probably should have been doing that. <laughs> was that a one-time thing or was it a common occurrence? Yeah. No, that was, that was one time and messing around. It was just awful. And then you see like you know, why I have so much, obviously having a brother that's playing, you know, a goalie now, like I'm really, I love talking to goalies. I love, you know, figuring that stuff out, but you know, being in the net and watching like guys shoot, it's like, no thanks. Like that is out of control. Like, I don't know. 
Like how how they're like hand eye like oh man it's I crazy. Don't know how they do it. That's different. It, it really level. is. Yeah, that's next yeah, level stuff. Yeah, it really is a different level, and uh, you stand there and take some of the shots, and even you know just the cause of it, it's like yeah, this is just not. It's not going to happen here. This is uh, scary. <laughs> so something I'm sure that you heard a lot from your parents growing up and heard a lot from your coaches, even probably to this day, is about effort. And I, and I know that for you, effort was never an issue. Um, and something I tell my kids, my kids are not athletes. They're just, you know, students. They want to go into different fields. And one thing I always try to reinforce in them is, you, you can control your effort. You can't control what you're born with or what you're not born with, but you can always outwork the next guy. And during your senior year in college, you won the Mike Morrison Coaches Award for teamwork, hustle, and dedication. So you're not doing, you're not putting in that effort for the awards, but I would mm-hmm. imagine it was pretty cool to be acknowledged. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty important award, being that Mike Morrison was a captain at Clarkson and, and you know, tragically passed away. But, um, yeah, it was. It kind of, it kind of felt like a, you know, a four-year thing where you put so much effort into a program, and, and uh, you know, to have that that award, like you said, it's not, you know, why why you work hard, or you know, it's not, you know, and I know everybody says that, but in reality, you just don't think that way. You know, you're not. Uh, but I do think, you know, it, it, like you know, for your family. Uh, who raises you, and you talked about having kids. You know, those are the things that you're really truly proud of your kids for for winning, right? And uh, you know, that was certainly an award that, as a family, we all took pride in because, you know, it, like you said, it's a, a dedication, a work ethic thing, and you know, a four four year body of work that you put everything in, especially at college, because you just put everything and you absolutely can into a program. And uh, you know, to to leave with that was uh, was a special moment, no doubt. So we've, we're about 51 minutes in right now. So is this, you yep. want to cut it off here with the college? You want to pick it up or you still have some time? Um, I'm good either way. No pressure on my end, dude. Yeah, I think I could do probably 10 more minutes. If that doesn't make any sense to you, then we really don't have to. It's um, totally. How about know. we make a deal? We finish, we finish this season because I'm going to talk about um, – Wheeling and then uh, Wilkesbury. How about uh, we finish that up and then we cut it at that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. All yeah, right, perfect. Okay. Um, so after college, you uh, how did you end up with uh, Wheeling? So I, I was really fortunate. So I played with Ben Saxton. His dad was working uh, at the time for the Penguins, and I didn't have a huge amount of interest, right? And uh, you know, it's mostly just. East Coast, you know, do you want to come play here? Do you want to come play there? You know, I did have a ton of those options, but, mm-hmm. you know, I might, I think I had one more uh, two-way offer. I, I actually don't remember who it was from, but uh, being mm-hmm. that I had been there and his dad, um, who I always thank still to this day for giving me what I call my first chance, you know, albeit uh, still going to the coast and uh, just to be in that program, I thought was so, so important. Um they really, really care about their East Coast team, you know, I think in Pittsburgh. And, and, you know, they actually do use their players. And there is a lot of, you know, up and down between the three teams, which, you know, at times is a little unusual. But, yeah, you know, Randy Randy being obviously coming to watch his son play, obviously uh, felt that, you know, I could be a pro. And, and I didn't have a lot of people saying that. And, you know, that was the reality of it. Um, 
you know, so I felt more comfortable going that direction with him, you know, kind of in the organization. And, you know, I had actually, funny enough, my first agent was Kyle Dubas. And, oh, wow. Uh, he's now, you know, now, uh, you know, uh, maybe has the biggest job in hockey. So uh, having him was cool because, you know, he he was, you know, what I always say is just an incredible agent. He really, really cared about me. Mm-hmm. And, uh you know, we, we talked about it and he said, listen, they're going to give you a, an opportunity, which everybody says, mm-hmm. right. But, you know, I trusted him as an agent and a person within hockey and, and he was right. You know, I was able to go to Wheeling and have a good start and, uh, and, and get called, called up to a very good team in Wilkes-Barre who, you know, were at the time, I think a 50 win team in the American league and wasn't an easy team to get games with, but, you know, was able to do that, uh, through work ethic and Wheeling, but, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was pumped up. You know, I you know I think a lot of if you talk to a lot of guys, maybe they wouldn't be, but I was just excited. You know, I was excited to play pro. You know, I I saw it as an opportunity um, to be in Wheeling with guys like Alex Grant, and there was quite a few guys that were you know signed with Pittsburgh that were around, and we ended up being a very very good hockey team that you know lost in I think Game Six in the Eastern Conference Finals, or you know something one one win kind of thing away from from going. Uh, to the finals was, yeah, I think really helped me because I ended up getting, you know, something close to, you know, 26, 27 games after school, you know, including playoffs, which not a lot of people get that opportunity. So I felt like it was almost like my first year pro where, I, you know, first off, I created a reputation within the organization, but second off, you know, you get games under your belt, right? You, you understand the game, you know, you understand the travel, you understand how pro is different from college and, uh, yeah, it was a huge, huge thing for me. Uh, yeah, the transition seemed like it worked out okay for you. Nine points in ten games. Uh, what, I, I want to say, what was the pro game more your style? You know, like we talked about with college where there's mm-hmm. no accountability because everyone's wearing these suits of armor, and now you're back mm-hmm. and you're playing pro hockey. You know, uh, I would imagine you probably had to wear the uh, half shield, whatever, but now – if you you want to yeah. do stupid shit out there, you're going to get called on it. So, what, did yeah. you find the did you find it not easy to play, but the style of play is more acclimated to your skill set? Way way better. Yeah, honestly, like um, I finally felt like all the things that you believed you could do, you know, which is hard for people to translate. You know, if you're just playing college, uh, you know, it's probably easier if you see a guy in the OHL and he's doing these things already. Um, whereas me, it was an unknown, you know, can and will, you know, and all that stuff, they, you know, he'd be able to do it at a professional level. So, yeah, I, I honestly thought it, it made a lot more sense for me uh, playing pro. Like, you know, I felt more comfortable. Um, you know, there, there was such an appreciation for being a good teammate and you were capable of doing that. You know, you have your first fight and stuff like that. And you show your you're all right and, and that, uh, you know, you can handle those things and that you're not just going to shut, you know, back down and uh, all, all were important. And, uh, you know, I actually, it's funny, I, I get called up um, my, for my first game in Wilkes-Barre and, and we're playing against Mike Duco and, you know, he was a pinball and, you know, t- tough player and running around and, and I tried to hit him and I actually I blew my meniscus, my first ever shift in the American <laughs> League. Um but, you know, and again, what I say, the importance of the, you know, the definition of who I was going to be within that organization mattered. You know, even though I was playing the East Coast League, you know, the fact that we made a run. And, you know, I played with the torn meniscus for, 
two and a half months. So, you know, we had, uh, uh, what was his name, Julia, who ends up, I think he's in Milwaukee now, but he played in the NHL, Stan Julia. He played for, for a long time. And, you know, for him, he said, you know, you come here and you care and you could be having your senior year and partying and having fun and you're playing with, you know, uh, you know a torn meniscus for us. And I think that that's, that experience and all that put together really, really, uh, like, defined me to, you know, the guys in Pittsburgh, which doesn't always happen, you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, being able to do that, to play through some adversity, to play through the bad knee, to, to make the run, to do well, to – to show all these things in a small sample size was a huge advantage for me because, you know, when I went back to play in the rookie tournaments and stuff, I had a little bit of a rapport with the organization. They knew that I was doing these things and, you know, you come have a great camp and you're running around and you're doing all this shit. And, uh, you know, I was, I was proud of myself, you know, I was proud of myself at that time for sure to, to leave school and, and, uh, give, give away that experience you could have at school as a senior and, and with your guys, um, you know, we, we just kept winning and, you know, it ended up being, you know, you think you're going to be there for three weeks and you're there for three months. So, um, but you know, it was, it was a big deal, really, really big deal actually for, for me as a player. So, so tell me about your first pro fight with, uh, Elgin Reed of, uh, Florida. <laughs> it was, it's, it, listen, I mean, um, you're coming from school, uh, you don't know for sure. You, you know, you have these things, you know, inside of you, you think you're willing, uh, doesn't mean you're going to be good at it or any of the above. And I still don't think to this day that, you know, that's something that I'm extremely good at. Right. But the fact is that if you're able to, and willing to just do it, um, you know, it's a, it's a big thing, right. It takes a lot of courage and we know that. And, uh, you know, to, to do it and to have that fight meant a lot for me because I didn't want to be defined as just a college player that was going to run around and never, you know, never be capable of handling their own shit at times. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, a good fight. And, you know, you throw as hard as you can for as long as you can and, and hope you survive. And, uh, you know, that was thankfully for me having a dad that had done it. You know, he was a guy that I relied heavily on in, the, in those certain, you know, circumstances and, always a guy that said, you know, you're not going to be able to play this way if you don't do those things. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was a big deal just to get it under my belt and, and to see you can get through it. And, uh, you know, everybody, everybody, uh, needs to do it sometimes. So now anyone that knows you knows that you're devastatingly handsome. Now, not Rob Lowe handsome, <laughs> but, but because you talk about your pops, was there ever a time like in young blood where pops took you out on the ice and showed you a few things? You know, it's funny. I actually did, um, you know, not specifically to me. Yeah. You know, he wasn't, you know, taking me out of the pond and saying, okay, this is how you fight. You know, that was never conversations we had. You know, it's funny because if you have that background, I, see, I think those players, you know, they're going to push you to work hard, be a good teammate and all that stuff, but they're also big on, you know, development skills and all this stuff, and you have to do all these different things, right? But, you know, I, I remember specifically in Midget, he was, you know, he was certainly helping us and, uh, you know, he was had all the guys, you know, pairing up out there, and and uh, you know, you could. I think he was teaching everybody how to do like grab the pants and get them get them off balance, and uh, fuck, it was it was funny. But yeah, having him was was huge, right? Because he had already done all these hard things and and been through it, and then I had to play, you know, school where you're not doing any of that stuff, and uh, you know, had to learn on the fly. But having him and his experience was good. Did you overlap? I know you only played two games in uh, Wilkes-Barre, but uh, was Drew mm -hmm. Fatta there when you were there for those two games? 
No, okay. no, he wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, you had an assistant coach there who has some Islander ties, who I'm a big fan of and known him a bit. Uh, uh, Cheech, Alain Nazardine. Did you get a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of uh, dealings with him while you were there? So many. What a yeah. guy. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, like that's a cool name to bring up too because he was um, just a just a great person. Like I think you're, you've seen him have success now, and uh, I think his reputation speaks for itself. But I think that team too, like with having him, you know, and then we had John Hines who was very, very, very hard, uh, detailed on, on his players, you know. And uh, to have him, he, he, he learned at a high pace. You know, it's not a it's not a program that he ran where you just come in and. You know, you can get through it and you have good and bad days. You, you were demanded to be at a level. But Elaine was the good guy, you know, to Johnny and uh, to Heinze, I guess. And always a guy that as a first-year guy you could talk to, um, you know, a guy that's fucking played forever. And, you know, his career speaks for itself and, and the way he was as a leader. And, uh, you know, him, him and Ryan Craig were pretty similar guys. You know, Ryan Craig was kind of cut from that cloth too, just an amazing leader, amazing person. And, and those two guys I, I certainly relied on a lot. You play those games in Wheeling. You play a couple of games in uh, Wilkes-Barre. Now you find yourself in the playoffs, East Coast Hockey League playoffs. Again, it, it seems like you adapted pretty quickly, six points in 14 games. Um, and I think you had alluded to it. For for a kid out of college, you know, to get six points in 14 playoff games in a new league is pretty impressive. It's even more impressive when you have a ripped up knee. Uh, how, how difficult was that to play with, with the knee and the condition it was? It, it, honestly, like, um, I think, I think there's pl- plenty of things that hockey players do, but that was, that was really challenging. You know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not the worst, you know, your meniscus is not the worst thing, worst case situation with your knee, but it's, and it's something that you probably, you know, given what I had, I had hope it was just all pain, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was, it was really difficult at times because, you you know, the schedule uh, it, during the playoffs is you're playing, you're playing a lot and you're traveling a lot. And as we know, in, in the East Coast League, it, you know, it's a sleep, sleeper bus, so you know it wasn't wasn't the best situation to have a bad knee. There, there's there's no doubt. Um, you know, we I, I can remember one time we oh, we we must have we won in uh, South Carolina, and then you know you get on the sleeper bus, which in Wheeling only had you know 12, 12 uh, bunks, and I'm pretty much at the bottom of the barrel at that point to to, to get one of those. So I'm trying to find a floor floor <laughs> space, but. You know, we we win in South Carolina, and then we, you know, we bus all the way to Kalamazoo and play the next day. You know, and I think it took us uh, maybe it was two days between, but it was at twenty eight hours on the bus or something. Something went wrong, and it was out of control. So, I mean, those circumstances to have a bad knee, you know, you're you're not exactly comfortable. But um, yeah, I think you know you're young, you're excited, you want to do everything you can. I was just grateful for the opportunity I had to play and. Uh, the bottom line was, you know, if you could manage the pain, uh, you know, which most hockey players do well, uh, it, once you got going, uh, it was okay. It was it, between the games, it's worse, you know, it's uh, when the adrenaline comes down and, you know, you really feel where you're at and walking and stairs and stuff um, wasn't, wasn't ideal. But listen, I was, like I, like I alluded to, like it was uh, a big point for me to get through that and, uh, you know, kind of, I think, kind of set in stone to the coach and the organization, like, you know, Wilkes-Barre was out, so my guys, as I said before, were watching, and, 
know, Pittsburgh does a real good job of managing all the teams, and you know, not just the American League team. And you know, it's big for me. So, standard question I ask anyone who uh, came from college. And uh, let's see if you continue with the streak. Which game is dirtier, the pro game or the college game? <laughs> uh, college, probably. <laughs> that's that's what everyone says, and it's for the it's for the reasons we discussed about how guys are wearing, you know, basically a suit of armor out there. Everyone's brave. Everyone's yeah. free with their sticks. So, uh, yeah. so that's why I was wondering because yeah. there's more accountability in the pro game. So I just wanted to know as someone who who's done both, and at that point you had experienced a yeah. decent amount of pro games. Uh, if, if there was a noticeable yeah. difference where guys in college, uh, like say they they think they're Hercules out there, and uh, but it's not the case in pro, mm-hmm. you got to back it up. Well, I, I think it's I think it's for sure that, but it's also the scheduling, right? I mean, you got college kids that are just grinding, working, you know, Monday to Friday always, and uh, you know, lifting weights, and it's like unleashing the chains and saying, "Just go play twice." So you only have yeah. to, you know, you only have those two games. So it's everybody's flying, everybody has energy. You're young, and uh, like I said, the training programs and stuff, guys are guys are nuts. So there's a whole lot of whole lot of juice and testosterone flowing around a college league, and like I said, it's. Uh, it's not something necessarily, you know, you, you, you're going to think twice if, uh, you know, you're looking down and you see Brett Glant or <laughs> Steve McIntyre or any of the bunch, and you're probably going to say, maybe I won't do that. And uh, that probably doesn't happen in college where, you know, someone's just going to flatline you and, and move on. So Now, uh, at the end of the season, uh, I, I assume when you uh, when you signed, it was just for the remainder of the season. And then mm-hmm. um, did you get offered a contract? With uh, with Pittsburgh or with Wilkesbury, with an invite to camp, how did that work out? Yeah, so so basically, I took what I consider you know one of the worst contracts in hockey is that uh, you know, and that's just being honest. And I think most people that have been through it would understand that I, I signed a two way with Wilkesbury and Wheeling. Mm. Um, again, you know, I, I had another offer that was of similar nature. You know, the two way with the HL and the East Coast, but um, you know, all that work I put in, I, I felt somewhat comfortable betting on myself it seemed logical to me because it was the only thing and the only way i understood how to do things but i certainly understood that also you know wilkesbury was going to be good and mm-hmm. pittsburgh always um, will put good players there and it was going to be a challenge for me to have only one team to be called up for um you know if i didn't make wilkesbury out of camp or whatnot but you know the the, the bonus to that was that they did say listen um, we're, we're going to give me an opportunity to come play in our, our rookie tournament and that's kind of all I needed to hear, really. You know, I just wanted an opportunity. And, um, you know, I thought that get, got my foot in the door a little bit. And, uh, it, you know, it all worked out pretty well. You know, I was able to um, go to that tournament and feel good and, and played really well where, you know, you have everybody uh, from the organization there for that tournament, you know, whether it was Dan Bosma at the time or, you know, all the guys. And, uh you know, it felt important. It was exciting, you know, to, to be able to play, put a Pittsburgh jersey on, uh, you know, out of school. And it was just uh, really a, a dream come true and an opportunity that I really, really enjoyed uh, having. And, uh, yeah, you know, if, uh, if if you don't get those opportunities, and, again, like, you know, the contract is what it is, and, um, you know, you, you're, in a, you're in a worse off spot, I, I think. So you, you sometimes have to just put that, that shit aside and, and focus on what you can control, and, and that's what I felt. And I, I think, you know, going to that term, I wanted to make a huge impression, and um, I hopefully and felt like I did. That was their rookie tournament in Oshawa, correct? 
Yeah, yeah, it was the rookie tournament in Oshawa with um, Toronto, Chicago, maybe one other team, maybe Montreal or something. Um, but yeah, that was awesome because it was—I mean, it was close to home too, right? Like my dad played for Oshawa. Um, you know, being an hour, you know, or, or less, depending, you know, from where I was from. You know, the whole thing was really cool. You know, you, you're playing against, you know, in an atmosphere where everybody's watching and you have all the big brass and all the teams around. So, you know, I was excited. Like, I was – I couldn't imagine being more excited than I was then, you know, at the age I was at and the opportunity I was given. So I was pretty fired up. So rookie tournament implies you got a lot of hungry young kids from all these teams out there. There's always yeah. a way to make an impression. Some things are within your control. Some things, yeah. you know, have to happen. You know, yeah. it's not always easy to score. It, mm-hmm. sometimes it's easier to throw a big hit or maybe drop the gloves. Uh, what are your yeah. memories from that tournament? <clears throat> yeah, I remember it being a, an absolute circus and a jungle, if you will. Um, you know, those, I've, you've, you've seen it, and uh, it's, uh, it's dog-eat-dog out there, and it's, it's, um, you get a lot of hungry, hungry people that want to live out their dreams, and uh, there, there's a lot of young kids with a lot of testosterone flowing, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of shenanigans, and it was funny. I was actually having a conversation today about those tournaments and, you know, how crazy they are, and everybody's got a story that's played, you know, at some point in the American League or, or the NHL. They've all been through these tournaments, and they're all, you know, back then, they were all the same. You know, we, a lot of those teams would bring in, you know, the fight leader from the Q or the fight leader from the O, and there'd be a bunch of guys that were there to round up the teams, and, you know, there's tons of action. You know, it wasn't short on action, that's for sure, and, um, you know, for, for me, I did everything I possibly could to, you know, show that I could play a role, right? You know, I wasn't solely focused, and I think maybe, again, you know, looking back, be, you know, being around the pro game a little bit and also understanding, you know, kind of where I was at, it was, um, you know, important for me to say, listen, put the work boots on here and, and show what you're all about. You know, I wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't overly focused on, on points and stuff, and I knew that if I did things the right way, that certainly would open some eyes, and you know, I was able to get in the fight and score a goal and kind of, you know, work work as hard as I possibly could and, uh, you know, get get the invite to uh, to main camp, which, you know, was for a guy that's undrafted and, and you know, and to, to just get that, you know, where, you know, I think it was, I can't remember exactly, it might have been actually Bosman that pulled me aside and said, you know, you've really made a huge impact here. He said, I hope you have a suit. And I said, you know, what, you know kind of what are you talking about? And I said, he said, well, do you have a suit with you? Because we're going to just keep you around. We want you to come to main camp. And, wow. you know, for a guy that's, you know, was like that to pull me aside and, and say the things he did about me, um, you know, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool for me, no doubt. Uh, did you have a suit or did you have to make a quick call to your, <laughs> to your parents and say, get me a suit? Uh, that's funny. Like, I, <laughs> I almost want to say that they probably brought me one, but... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I actually don't don't remember specifically, but I, you know, I don't know. But I was, <laughs> man, I was, I was just over. Like I couldn't even explain. Uh, you know, now you're now you're going from signing a two way contract and you know from playing majority of the year before as a undrafted in the coast to you know you're you're going to be going to camp at Sidney Crosby. So uh, pretty pretty unique and pretty cool experience. So did you have time? And again, I think a lot of times. Uh, with, with something like this, you don't really look back on it until you're older in, in the bigger picture. And like say at that time, you're a young kid and everything. But at a certain point, when you have that conversation with the coach of the NHL team telling you mm-hmm. we're going to keep you around, do you have time to go, you know, it was only a couple of months ago I was a senior in college 
playing mm-hmm. in the East, you know, not, like I say, not drafted, uh, you right. know, not drafted in the NHL. I was a senior in college, really not sure where I, what I was going to do after that. Played a handful of games in the coast, played two games mm-hmm. in the American League. Now you have the coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins telling you, we're going to keep you around. And again, not to, mm-hmm. to blow smoke up your ass, but that's a, that's a pretty amazing story. Yeah, I think, I guess, you know, in the moment, um, you know, as cliche as it gets, you're probably just focused on, you know, hour to hour, day to day, right? You're just trying to survive. And, and you know, that's probably the best case to be at the time. You know, I, I look back at it now, you know, at 33 and still playing, but and say, like, I almost envy myself in a way. It sounds weird to say, but it's like um, that just pure and utter emotion and, and, and focus. You, you, I mean, you just can't. You can't mimic that all the time, you know, as your career goes on. And, and, and second of that, you know, chasing a dream, you know, playing NHL. And, you know, that's what everybody thinks about since they're four years old. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I kind of envy the way I went about it because, you know, I didn't really listen or think about what anybody else was talking about and or, you know, what I was to, you know, on paper to anybody. I just, I wanted to make an impression and, and I was able to do that. And the only way I was able to do it was by, you know, doing the things in the off season where you come in and, ex- you know, in a, in a place where you're, you're in a shape, you know, that where you do fitness testing as a young guy, you know, th- that stuff matters. And, you know, you, you can't, you can't make an impression if you're, if you're undrafted and nobody knows you, if you don't do those kind of crazy things that all of a sudden they're saying, you know, like, who is that guy? You know what I mean? And, and you know, to, to do that, it took a lot of effort. And, you know, it was it was a point where I'll never forget, you know, I'm doing a pull-up test. And, again, it was Bosman, and, you know, seemed to be with me. Uh, and he's counting my reps. And he said, he said, you know, I was at maybe 24, 25, you know, and I knew I was going to be closer to the top, and I kind of wanted to win. <laughs> he kind of yeah. just looked at me and said, uh like, I think you're good here. Like, you know, like you, you know, you, you've done enough, like, you know, great job kid kind of thing. And, you know, th- those moments, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm certainly proud of myself because I know, you know, it takes looking at yourself in the mirror every day when you wake up and say, I'm going to work harder than so-and-so. And I don't really give a shit what people think of who I'm going to be, or if, if I'm on a two-way contract and I'm going to this rookie tournament first round picks. And, and uh, if you can, if you can find that, you can do some pretty special things. So, when uh, when you got to the the big camp, Penguins right. have some pretty big name guys there. Uh, yeah. Probably some guys you watched on TV while you were in college. Did you have a, a wow moment like when you were like, "Holy shit, I'm in camp with"? Well, I mean, everybody knows you know who the big guns were and still are yeah. there. Uh, I mean, did you have a moment where you were like, "Holy shit, what what am I doing here"? I, I, I mean, I felt like that all the time, right? Like, walk, like, like walking around. Like, if you're being realistic, of course. Yeah. I mean, I was just coming from Clarkson to mm-hmm. now uh, being in practice, you know, with Sidney Crosby, yeah. and you know, I, I uh, yeah, I was, I was certainly uh, taken back, and I think off days more so. Like, you're just like so scared to bother someone, you just don't want to say nothing. And yeah. uh, there's two two good stories, but that one was I'm, I'm sitting to you know, wait to get your headshots, which, you know, my headshot probably I'm feeling at the time, it's not going to be used and that's no problem. I'm just kind of here because I have to be. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm kind of trying to bump people past me and say like, you know, it's fine. You go like, I'll just wait and you go. And then Sydney sits uh, beside me and I said, you, you go ahead. Like I, you know, no, no problem. And he like looked at me and he said, no, no, like you're going to go and you, you go get your picture. And I, I just thought that was so cool. Like, um, yeah. you know, he, he had, 
no business in caring uh, or, or having to worry about anybody of the bunch like me. But uh, you know, we seem to, you know, as little interaction as I did have with him, you know, in those instances, he realized why he's so special. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, he's just a kind person. I mean, you know, from the stories I've heard from the guys that played with him and throughout that year and, and so on, like just a down to earth, nice person. And, um, you know, I got, I got scratched. I wasn't able to play in the black and gold game and he wasn't playing either. And, same kind of story. Like he, he says, you know, do you, you want to come with us? We're, I'm going to take everybody that's not playing for dinner in Wilkes-Barre. And I wow. said, yeah. I said, wow. I said, yeah, I'm in like hundred percent. And, you know, to see someone of that nature, like we're talking, you know, got to go in the back door. Obviously there's yeah. a lot of fans around and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, what, what's special about hockey? You know, that's, it's, it's the people, right? And, and I think, you know, why I believe hockey is the greatest sport on earth is, is those instances people actually care about you. You know, that's our biggest biggest name in our sport. And he has, you know, he just wants to take care of everybody. And, uh, you know, can you say that about all the sports? I'm not exactly sure. I just, I know for certain that in hockey, that's the way people are. Yeah. Now, when uh, when camp's over, you end up in, uh, in Wilkes-Barre. And there's a guy in Wilkes-Barre. And, uh, you know, there's certain people and certain names where you have to – they always have that adjective before their name. And uh, I, I'm guessing that Steve McIntyre has been uh, Big Mac probably since he was two years old. And uh, so I reached, out, I reached out to Steve to ask him if he had uh, any memories of you. And he said, uh, ask him about the time I took him shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was uh... – I mean, listen, like, I'm not com- comfortable around guns or anything. Like, I'm I'm pretty rural, like, uh, you know, Canadian. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Western guy, and I'm not a hunter, and I have no idea what I'm doing. But if, if Big Mac says you're doing something, uh, you know, you're doing it. So he said, we're going shooting today. And I said, yeah, we're going shooting today. Let's, let's go. He said, no, no problem. I said, where do you want to go? And, geez, I didn't hit a single thing. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. He's just pegging these targets off. And, what an experience. I mean, again, like, you know, it, you know, hockey players are the best for those reasons. And Steve was an older guy and someone that made me feel comfortable, uh, someone that made me feel safe on and off the ice. And, uh, you know, what a cool experience to, to have him do that with me. And uh, I had a ton of respect for what he did for our team and obviously in hockey. And, yeah, he's a really cool guy, Steve. He's, uh, he's a funny guy, too. Like, I think – you know, he's as scary as it gets in the game on the ice, but as as we all know with those guys, they have, you know, the kindest hearts off the ice, and they're, they're like, he's like a little kid, you know, he's like uh, just joking around, like, you know, I remember the day, like the one day I came in, and all my, uh, all my sticks were spray-painted all white, and... You know, I wasn't exactly at the point where I could go into the equipment stop and say, hey, I want six new sticks or whatever. (laughs) You know, so I just didn't say anything. I'm like, geez, I wonder who did that. And I could just see him like this big, you know, massive human being just giggling at me the whole time. I said, did you you do that? And he said, yeah, I did that. And I'm like, well, that's good then because I love white sticks. (laughs) No no problem. I said, let's see if it works. But uh, he was always messing around with me and, and having fun. Yeah, great teammate. So he's someone that I enjoy. 
obviously watching, you know, I'm on, he's on TV. I'm watching him every time he's on the ice. I want to see what's going to happen. What's it yeah. like being his teammate and actually seeing him? I mean, first of all, like you said, he's a, he's a mountain. Like he's, he's mm-hmm. got to be one of the biggest players, if not the biggest guy you've ever played with. What's it oh, like yeah. watching him in the middle of a game where maybe someone took a run at one of your guys or something needs to happen and you kind of see it happen where he's going to go out there. It's, uh, it's mm-hmm. got to be good that he's wearing the same Jersey as you. Oh, yeah, thank God. Um, he's, I guess the the word that comes to mind on all those fronts would be fear. You know, like he was a guy that he he made some people scared. And for, for a fair reason, I, you know, he is as big as I've ever seen a human being uh, playing hockey and as tough as we, we know as, you know, maybe anybody and uh, ever. And uh yeah, it was fear. You know, his intimidation factor on the ice, and specifically, he was a guy that wanted to get back to the NHL. And you know, those are scary guys. You know, when they're when that big man is is like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we we played online, so I saw a lot of his fights up close. And geez, like uh, it was scary, really scary. You know, he he broke. You know, I remember watching one time he broke. He punched a guy so hard he broke his helmet. You know, cracked his visor in half. And, you know. It looked like cracked the front of the helmet too, and I'm like, you're almost sitting there saying like, just go down, like you know, <laughs> this guy is gonna pulverize you. And uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he, I mean, we could we could talk for a long time about the story of Mac, and mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of a lot of things he did were were amazing for our team, and, and I still believe that matters, and, and it mattered then. Um, you know, he settled some big boys down pretty quickly, you know, and he had he had the one game in you know which would be one of it's probably I, I'm sure people have seen it on YouTube but the one game where he went after everybody on the ice and mm-hmm. and uh, in Springfield and it was like again like fear and chaos and this is this is a big guy it's not too happy and you better get out of the way because he was going after every single person you know there, and it was it was by committee and it was funny you know he, he said something along the lines like because I ended up not playing uh, and he played instead of me and you know he said I'm going to make sure it's worth it and I said oh <laughs> Said, this is going to be fun. So you go get the popcorn and he's sitting up there and said, at some point, like this guy's going to explode and they don't know. And, uh, you know, he goes after everybody. I think it was like Greg Amadio was like, right. You know, it's like, it's like this guy can't get a hold of me. He punched the goalie. I think he like, you know, got a hold of Cody Bass. I mean, he, he would literally after every single person. And I remember we were playing him again pretty quickly after that. And it was, one of those situations where it's like, you know, they don't, you know, they had, I think, Tim Spencer, who's, you know, really tough, but, um, you know, and they were a tough team, you know, as everybody was back then, but nobody was on his level. Right. And it was, and I remember hearing after the fact, like, because I was like, what are they possibly thinking having to go after this, you know, and this guy's flying around again. And it was almost like, from what I heard, they said, okay, we have to do this by committee. So if, you know, if Big Mac goes nuts here, it's got to be five on one. Like, you know, like, like, like someone, you know, someone get his right leg, someone get his left leg, like everybody get him, like, cause we got to get him down. You know? And, uh, man, he was, he was something else. How big that guy was like shaking his hands and break your fingers. Like he was, yeah, he's on another level. So nice to have, nice to have him on my line. Let me tell you. Oh, that must have, you must have felt bigger than him. You're skating out there Mm. going, I could do whatever I want. 
Well, he, he would tell me sometimes, say, "Hey, Fox, go go mix it up, go mix it up a little, you know, go get in front, and, you know." But the pro- the problem with that was that he could only do so much, and the, and I almost felt like that year at times, guys were like, "Well, I'm going to fight the Fazio yeah. before this, you know, this guy gets a hold of me." So yeah, um, but yeah, he he made you feel safe in a hurry. And and you did your share of scrapping that year. You finished second on the team in penalty minutes, and you started the year uh, with a pretty impressive victory over Travis Turnbull of Rochester. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, I remember that fight. Yeah, of course. You know that was uh, you know Turnbull plays over here actually, and uh, he, he, we play him quite a bit. And um, you know he's a top player too, like mm-hmm. a guy that I knew. You know, for me coming to school, probably had more experience and whatnot, and. Uh, you know, played on the line and, and sometimes crossed it, which we all do. And, uh, you know, I, it was, I think it was a game where we were, were up a bit, and I felt like this was an opportunity for me as a young guy to show my teammates I cared. And, you know, I thought he, he went after, you know, Brian Lurg, I think it was at the time, and I didn't feel like it was necessary. And I thought, you know what, why not um, see if we can get get something done. And, and obviously, you know, those are the things that, uh, you know, your teammates care about and your coaches and stuff, and, you know, it's happy happy to do it, so. Now, two nights later, you're playing against Binghamton, and you scored your first AHL goal. Now, you had scored already in the East Coast League, but do you remember the first AHL goal? I do. Uh, I do. It was uh, it was Robin Laner, I'm thinking that. So wow. that was that was cool. Yeah. You know, um, he was a big you know big prospect at the time, I guess back then, and a bigger goal and a good goal, and I knew that. Um, yeah, anytime you can score at those levels, specifically your first one, American League, it uh, it felt special for sure. And it was funny. I mean, I mean all these little things that add up into one moment. Uh, like I, you know, I talked about my dad a lot already, which he'll love. But I said, you know, we always talked about something that he he really disliked was that the fact I kept wrapping around the puck, kind of creating nothing. And uh, it shows you having a pro to talk to all the time. He said, you know, why don't you take an extra step? and kind of turn the corner and give yourself some space to make a play rather than just jamming to the pads, jamming to the pads. And, you, you know, it look, it may look like you're working hard, but you're not really accomplishing a lot. And uh, so, you know, look at that situation. He said that. Uh, I took a couple steps, grabbed some space, and, and able to actually score rather than, you know, a meaningless wraparound at the time. So pretty cool moment. Well, it's great having – you basically have a coach at your disposal at home, you know, 365 mm-hmm. days a year – He's done, you know. Yeah. He's done it at the highest level, so and I'm sure he's mm-hmm. always happy to help. Well, yeah, some, sometimes too much. Right? <laughs> sometimes you say, "Shut, just shut up, like, no, leave me, leave me alone." But no, for, for the most part, it's great. You know, sometimes sometimes they'll get on you, mm-hmm. and it's like I already I already have a coach who's on me. I, I don't need you to be on me. Uh, no, he's he's good. He's yeah. especially back then when you're young, right? Yeah. Like, you know, obviously now being older, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the conversations are not often about hockey. It's more right. about the kids and the, and the family life. And yep. and that's fine. And that's the way things evolve. And I have a pretty good understanding now of what I need to do on a daily basis. Whereas, you know, that's your first year, you know, first, you know, attempt at staying in the American League. So to have that asset is absolutely massive. You know, to say, did I play as bad as I thought? He'll say no or yes or, you know, and those things to reflect yeah. and, and to get better. So it's good. Yeah, he's a grandpa now. Hockey doesn't even matter anymore, so it's all about the grandkids. I can promise you, you're 100% correct. He, uh, <laughs> he's not checking in on seeing how the game's going anymore. Yeah. He's checking in and seeing if his granddaughters are doing well, because in reality, that's all he cares about now, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so, oh, yeah. which is good. Now, there was a, a game against Hershey where you absolutely beat the bag off of Thomas Kondracek, and I don't know the backstory, but the 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 violence that you brought – 
was that in retaliation for something that happened earlier? Yeah, for sure. And uh, again, like that was kind of, you know, I, I don't, you know, I guess the thing is I, I don't fight a lot, um, but I try to be in those moments. I think it's the easiest time to respond, you know, when it's emotion uh, and you feel it and, you know, he, he went after and uh, he went after Paul Thompson, who was like my best friend on the team. And I think he cross-checked him. So, you know, he's bleeding and, and, and so on. And, and I got the kind of, <laughs> I get the kind of like, okay, you're going here uh, with a line that I shouldn't be going with. That I was like, well, I have a pretty good understanding that that just happened for one reason. So, um, you know, I felt like I wasn't going to give him a way out of what he did. And, you know, he's kind of melting off to our bench and, you know, belittling what we thought was our, you know, our team culture. And, uh, you know, it, it had to happen. And uh, I was pretty pissed off. You know, it was pretty close to Thompson and, um, if you, you get guys in, in those situations, like I said, then, you know, that's pure emotion. That's raw emotion. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the shit that I care about the most. So you had uh, a toe to toe fight with, uh, Mike Testweedy of, uh, Adirondack, uh, mm-hmm. and it was a good goal, but at a certain point, uh, your bucket came off and his stayed on. How frustrating are those kind of fights where you guys are just going toe to toe, but you're hitting visor or helmet and he's got a good shot at your melon. Well, he's a, like, he, he was a, you know, a big, bigger guy, you know, than I was too. And he, I remember him, you know, again, this is my first year. So you're kind of finding your way through all that kind of stuff. And when's the time, when's not the time. And you're learning about, you know, through experience and watching the other guys and, you know, don't do this. And at the, you know, and he asked me, uh, and I, I said no originally. And then I skated around for like, you know, eight seconds. And I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, you can't be a pussy. Like, just get back in the fight. And, uh, you know, then I skate back towards him and said, fine, let's just go. And, um, you know, like he, he, the fortunate thing is he wasn't able to hit me in a bad spot, which is always nice. You know, if your helmet's off and it, it you know, it looks worse maybe on video because I have so much hair in that year. <laughs> and, you know, it look, it looks like you're getting hit hard, but, uh, you know, I was able to come back and hit him once, you know, in a good spot, even with his helmet on. And I remember, <laughs> We had Ryan Snell, and I'm not sure if he was around. He was up and down at time, but he was around for sure because he would watch, and he was trying to help me, and he said, you had him on the ropes, keep going, you know, and I said, geez, you know, all right. And, uh, you know, I took that seriously, what he said, and he said, you did a really good job. He came back. He threw a good punch. You had him hurt. He said, don't let him off the ropes. Keep going. And, uh, you know, Schneller and those guys and Siller and all the guys we had around, they, they always had your back and always wanted to help, and, you know, made it made a lot easier for me trying to understand and figure that shit out. So now um, there's a lot of photos of you where you have a, mm-hmm. a, um, a smile that maybe you don't have all your teeth, and it's sort of a, a trademark <laughs> smile. Is uh, was yeah. this the season where you got that smile? Yeah, yeah, it was. And I I lose my teeth in Hershey every time I play there, so <laughs> I don't know what's I don't know what's going on with that. But um, yeah, I, I was I was playing in playoffs and. Game four, and uh, someone broke a stick in a battle, so the other stick, you know, just kind of, you know, slingshotted up and just smoked me in the face, and uh, it's been this pretty smile ever since, so, um, yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is, but, you know, you get them fixed, and they're out again, and I went back there and played with Providence one time and did the same thing, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can play here anymore, but, um 
Yeah, we had game five the next day, so a good story about that would be um, I got to go. We have to play. You know, game five of the first round would be like game seven of the other rounds, right? So mm-hmm. it's winner, winner, done. Yeah. And, you know, I got a big, big, huge cut on my bottom left, and then you lose. I lost two two teeth. And, um, you know, so the dentist at the time was not open, but I had to get these root canals done because, you know, it was intolerable to have yeah. the roots exposed, right? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going in the back door with this guy, and, you know, basically says, listen, I don't do this, you know, without my assistance and stuff. So just bear with me. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> you know, this is, this is not my, not my favorite thing to do at the moment. But I, uh, I called Dean and I said, listen, uh, I got, you know, two root canals and, you know, 20 stitches or something in my lip. I said, I think maybe to play today, you know, I'm not feeling great. I said, maybe I'll put, put the, you know, the bubble on. And he said, well, he said, you put the bubble on, you can't stay at my house this summer, so you might as well just not put that on. <laughs> I said, All right, I guess I won't put that on. So I didn't put it on, and then I got DJ King with his fingers within like five minutes of the game, like just stuffing his fingers down my throat, like trying to pull these stitches out. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is not, uh, not an ideal experience after you go through that. But anyways. Well, and normally people lose their teeth in Hershey from the chocolate, but, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, yeah. man. So uh, you were, uh, and again, and I always say this to guys who win awards like this because you don't do it for the recognition, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I do want to say that uh, you were named the Penguins, uh, was it uh, IOA, American Specialty, AHL Man of the Year, and that stuff is given to players who do stuff off the ice in the community. So, uh, how much did it mean to you to win that award? Uh, a lot. Um, like I said, I go back to kind of how I grew up, and um, you know, me. I think you know that year, me and Paul Thompson, as, as I said before, we're, we're really close, and we we're both you know first year and so on and so forth. But for whatever reason, we both. Uh, you know, we, we both had, you know, first off, you have nothing to do. You have no kids, you're not married and all that stuff. So, but, uh, we, we wanted to both be involved with as much as we could. And, and we really did. I mean, I think both of us should have, should have won that award that year. Truthfully, like, um, we did a lot together. We ended up, um, creating a relationship with a young girl. And I think that was a big reason why, um, you know, they gave me that award was, you know, we created this relationship with a young girl going through cancer in a tough time. And, you know, we would drive out on our off days and go see her, and I think, I think those those moments are, you know, more important than the game, right? And you know, if you can have those lasting, lasting impacts and experiences, and in itself is it is to say, like, it makes you a better person too. Like, you know, perspective for a lot of people in life is important, and I wish a lot of people had those experiences where you could say and step back and say, listen, like you're. Your life isn't as difficult as you think, and, and those 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 moments matter. So we, you know, me and Paul, we had that relationship with her, her name's Adriana, and uh, you know, we did as much as we could with her, and as much as we could everywhere. And you know, we always always enjoyed the time, and um, you know, I thought both of us probably could have won it uh, together. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean. My my wife has heard me say somebody's always got it worse probably a million times since we've been together because, you yeah. know, everyone goes through stuff. And like you say, it's all about perspective. And I always go, you know mm-hmm. what, someone out there has it worse right now. And then uh, mm-hmm. I always say it myself, I'm, you know, when I look at a particular situation and I go, well, I've been through worse, so so I'll get through this. But, you know, like I say, sometimes it's you have to go through things to, to come up with that or you have to see things 
you know, like you guys do off the ice where you go, well, you know, I'm having a shitty day here, but you know what? It's not so bad considering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's spot on, John. Uh, you know, your experiences that you've had, uh, you know, kind of mold your perspective in life. And as I said, you know, perspective is everything. And, yeah. you know, it's going to be going to be good and bad days and the bad days if you can find that quickly, you know, maybe you pull yourself out of, out of a bad day and make it a little better. So, so surprisingly, um, you're at the season ends and, and you find yourself being a free agent. Did, uh, was there any interest, uh, from Pittsburgh and bringing you back or, or did they say, uh, you know, thanks for your service, wish you well, or, and, uh, see what you can get out there. Uh, it was kind of a little bit of both. Like I thought I had a pretty good year. I mean, I, you know, for a first year guy playing the fourth line and, you know, not touching special teams, uh, you know, I was able to bring an energy to the game and try to be a good teammate and, uh, you know, score 11 goals, um, obviously with no power play, I felt like was decent. And, yeah. uh, and so did Pittsburgh, you know, they, they really, I mean, if you look at, they gave me, gave me such an opportunity to play on such a good hockey team, you know, right out of college and, and, and on the, you know, the curse contract, as I talked about, you know, where you're, you're stuck with the one American league team. So, you know, I had to my exit meeting with John Hines and he, he said, you're like, uh, he said to me, he said, like, you're like, you're like the, the brother that just, like, never wanted to go home. Like, you're just annoying. You're just <laughs> always there. And you just somehow survived. And you always just figured it out. And, uh, no, he was signed to with an amazing person. And someone taught me how to play hockey, really. Um, you know, he was so detailed in the way we practiced that, you know, where I was at in September to where I was at at the end of that year was 100% a testament to the way he coaches and uh, the, the, you know, the demands were high and the stress was high and he put a lot on his teams. There's no doubt, but uh, you know, Heinze was an amazing person. And, and, you know, he was, he basically, they, they said that, you know, you know, I had an offer uh, or, or let's say interest, you know, at the NHL level. And they were like, you know, we're more thinking of getting them on an NHL one way kind of thing. And, you got to take take the opportunity to try to get that contract where you can have the opportunity to chase a dream. So, so um, were there other teams interested besides the Islanders? Uh, I was pretty uh, set on you know the Islanders. Um, you know, it, it, it felt right at the time for my style of play. You know, they had watched me a significant portion of time play that playoff run, and you know, and, and that's something I always tell players I play with now. It's like a lot of times you get so caught up in in playoffs, let's say specifically where well, I have to score, or you know, I didn't try to score at all. You know, like of course I did. You know, you want to, but I ran around and I tried to hit every single person that moved, and I tried to block shots, and I tried to be a good teammate. And the Islanders watched a significant portion of that playoff run and and saw that hey, maybe this you know maybe this kid could be a role player and someone that could do this more often. So. Um, I felt comfortable that that was the right spot at the time. So, and they didn't wait too long. I don't think you were a free agent too long before they uh, they came calling. Correct? No, it was, it was yeah right away. Like I knew, um, you know, right away free agency opened and yeah, what a what a moment, right? I mean, you get an NHL contract, um, pretty emotional to yeah. call your family and your parents and say, you know, after all this that uh, we've been through. And, um, to, to be at that point, you know, after one year of pro was yeah, something you never forget. Now, did um, I think you and Andy McDonald actually uh, signed on the same day? Maybe you guys weren't together, but I think uh, I think they signed you and Andrew McDonald on the same day. 
I don't remember. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would, uh, I was just so, so excited. <laughs> I was at my parents' house, drinking a lot of beers and then feeling pretty good about myself and hanging out with the family. And, you know, it's, that's, that's a fun shit that happens in those moments. And I always tell people, don't forget these moments because they don't happen forever. But, you know, those are the days you look back on, I'm sure when you're done and, and say, uh, you know, those are the good times. You know, those are the times we can sit there as a family, all my brothers around, and you got some Islanders hats, and mm-hmm. you know, everybody's pumped up and excited for the opportunity coming, and uh, you know, uncles and aunts and all the people that have been a part of your journey, and you can sit there and say the work was worth it. Mm-hmm. So, now, for someone like myself, an old fart, all these lockouts mm-hmm. they kind of blend together. I never remember if. I know one of them there was a there was a training camp. I know one of them there wasn't. So refresh my memory. So this was a lockout year. Did you guys reach to go to training camp at all, or that never even happened? It was uh, lockout had started before camp. Yeah, it's uh, it started before camp because it was not uh, you know not the best case because you probably want to have a camp if it's your first contract, first time in an organization. So. Mm-hmm. You know, not the best timing for a guy on the outside, probably, you know, trying to find his way in, right? right. Um, but being that I could play in the American League, uh, you know, the American League continued to play. So we just did uh, did that camp. And, um, yeah, we, you know, we we played, I, I think, till I don't remember the timing, but they ended up doing, like, a stop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when they ended the lockout and we did the, uh, we did the game, you know, at Nassau with, yep. uh, you know, where we, we beat the Islanders. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if, uh, you know, if people would remember that, but I'll never forget it because uh, a close friend of mine, Ryan Strome, mm-hmm. was actually on our side. So they gave us some guys, but they actually took the majority of our better players, let's say, you know, the guys that, uh, uh, you know, had a real shot, you know, like Zizekas, um you know, at the time, I think it was McDonald and, you know, you know, quite a few guys anyways. And, and we, we ended up winning that game five, three and, uh, you know, to, to play an NHL team and win us, you know, the, the team that we had was, was a pretty cool feeling. You know, it was, uh, it was pretty neat. And me and Ryan talked about it quite often because uh, he was on our side with us and the, and the sound tiger side and he had a blast playing with us. And man, it was a, it was a fun experience. All right, so whenever I get to the Islander portion of, of these uh, these uh, interviews, and like uh, when I asked you about Big Mac there, so there's a bunch of guys here, and it's sort of like a name association here. So uh, so okay. I'm going to give you a name. You tell me what yeah. you remember about playing with them, if you have a funny story. And obviously yeah. some of these guys you spent more time with than, than others if they only got a cup of coffee. So uh, there may be yeah. some guys you don't know, you didn't have much sure. experience with. But uh, we're going to start with uh, Nathan McKeever. Oh, cousin. Yeah, we called him cousin because he was him and Brett Glant were cousins. And yep. uh, oh, just an epic teammate. Just a, like honestly one, one of the best. And I think that you're going to hear that a lot with these name associations. But yep. I had a, had a pretty good bond with, uh, with cousin McKeever. And uh, what a beauty, man. What a kind, kind, kind person, really. Would, uh, would be the guy to do anything for you. Well, if you talk to him, let him know. Check, tell him to check his uh, Instagram DMs because I DM'd him about maybe coming on the show, but we don't follow each other, so maybe he doesn't know or maybe he doesn't care. But if you chat with him, just let him know there's a, a goofy guy on Long Island that wants to uh, put him on a show. Um, yeah. Well, talk about the other cousin, uh, Brett Glantz. <laughs> it's a similar story, just yeah. a real tight bond. Brett was my Brett was my roommate on the road, so you know, we spent many times together and 
Oh, what a what a guy! Like what a teammate! I mean, those two together. I mean, they were obviously would do anything for, for their teammates, and uh, you know, Brett was Brett was one of the best. You know, and still, you know, I talked to him quite often. Went to his wedding that summer, and uh, yeah, like you know, his son Jack was always around, and Janessa and the family at the time, and uh, really welcomed me in. You know, I was just a single guy playing pro, trying to figure it out, and. Uh, Brett was the man. Brett still is the man. He's, uh, and I think pound for pound, the toughest hockey player I've ever played with in my life. So, well, he's. He, I was going to ask you. So he's similarly. So with a guy like like Steve McIntyre, he's physically yeah. imposing. Then you get a guy yeah. like Brett Gallant, who's who's um, he's thick, not not too tall though. But, yeah. I mean, scary. When the gloves come off, as scary as anybody. So it's almost yeah. like a different kind of intimidation. It's almost like where where Big Mac enters a room, he's usually the biggest guy in the room. Uh, Brett mm-hmm. Gallant, you know, just, he might blend until the shit hits the fan. And then he's <laughs> like, he's just clearing the room one by one. Like, what, what was it yeah. like watching him take care of business? Oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was... Like, I, I think having the other side of things that, you know, Brett was my road roommate. So, like, to see, like, this guy, like, how normal, like, he was just so calm and mm-hmm. off the ice, so unimposing in a sense. You know, he does have the crazy eyes, but he's, you know, like, he's, what, I don't know what he is, 5'11", 185. Like, you know, you're thinking, like, how, like, I, you know, all the time being in the room after, and he'd have these crazy fights, and, you know, and I was just, like, I look at him and he's he's fine. Like I was like, you know, like I was like, wait, like how how did you just go toe to toe with some, you know, a guy like Joel Reckless and uh, you know, which are some of the most epic fights you ever see, you know, ever. And uh, I don't I don't know how he does it. Like he's just, uh, yeah, he's an amazing amazing person. And and like I said, pound for pound, like by far the, the toughest. And he was uh, it was scary to see him and the cousin. You know, because one goes, the other goes. And uh, the thing the thing about Brett, too, is I think he, he was um, able to be more active, let's say, than Steve was in the American League. Steve had, you know, was so, so big that, you know, and, and so, like, such a presence that, um, you know, like, he, he, he was so big, you know, he's not going to be able to just accommodate to someone that's 5'10". I mean, where Brett, you know, he, he can grab a hold of you. And, and you could be confused for a second. Then you're, you're realizing pretty quickly after that, shit, like I'm in a bad spot here. So he he really, really, uh, uh, at that time, did everything he possibly could to make sure everybody felt safe. And, you know, like I said, one of the best teammates I ever had and a uh, close relationship that I always had. And, and to have him, you know, like I said, on the road and all that uh, was pretty cool. Now, I think people that, that know the hockey fight game know that uh, all the Gallant boys are tough, but from what I've been told, yeah. the old man, the old that's yeah. where they all get it from. I heard the old man is the biggest badass in the family. Yeah, I think they, Pinky and, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, um, that family, you know, yeah. when I went to the, went to the, his wedding uh, the next summer, it was uh, pretty cool to watch them all hang out. Yeah. But again, like all kind of unassuming, just kind people, same with, you know, Cuz and, uh, and all those guys. I guess that's the, the Maritimes in them, right? And yep. uh, down to earth, having fun, having a good time, but uh, not going to be the family that you want to pick on, I'll tell you that. <laughs> not yeah. going to be the family you want to maybe take it too far because uh, you got to have a few guys that uh, 
we got to beat them <laughs> spot really quickly. So, uh, yeah, just a good, good family and, and kind people. And, you know, I was, I was happy to be there. And, you know, I met Alex at the time before, you know, when he was, you know, before when, uh, you know, nobody knew him. It's almost identical build to, to Brett. And then, yeah. you know, now to, to see what he's been able to do. It's like, what are these guys doing? I don't know. Like, they're just, yeah, crazy, crazy tough, all of them. Uh, Blair Riley. Yeah, good. I mean, those. Funny enough, those those three were uh, probably as close as I was to anybody in that team, and mm-hmm. you learn a lot quick. You know, Blair was none none the difference. That's, that's the same as those guys. Uh, just a phenomenal person and uh, someone I got along with really well, and uh, we we were both hanging out a lot, being you know younger or whatever. I don't know how he was, but uh, you know he was not much to do like me. I think he was single at the time and we spent a lot of time together, me and Blair. And, uh, I actually got to go visit him. I, I had a close friend playing with him in Belfast and, uh, John Kurtz. And, you know, we, you know, me and Blair have been close ever since then too. And I had a lot of relationships with that team. And again, another guy like that team was scary tough. Like there was, there was no easy out. And, uh, you know, he was another guy that was doing things that were, like he was an animal. Like, like he was very, very tough. And uh, another guy that, you know, of those three, I think they all had over twenty fights. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of action when you play with those three. And a guy who definitely would have had over twenty fights if he had been there. You know, played enough games. Uh, former guest of the show, local Long Island kid Joey Diamond. Yeah, he was. Uh, he came in, I guess, at the end of the year. Was that? Was that maybe? Yeah, he was. Uh, I believe he would have been there towards the end of the year. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But man, he was another guy that was just a warrior. Like yeah. for how small he was, he was not, not scared of much. And I don't remember who it was that he fought that year, but some huge defenseman. And, uh, I remember thinking like that's nuts. Like, I can't believe that just happened. But, uh, yeah, he was an animal too. Uh, I don't think he was there long. Do you remember, uh, Adam Huxley? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. He was like, I remember, I mean, I don't know him all that personally, right? But he was, you know, a crazy good teammate too and obviously had his, you know, reputation, you know, brought with him to the team. And uh, he was like a crazy, like, grappler fights. Like, he was, like, doing some some stuff that people weren't really doing and was always really, really intense. And I think he was the guy that was, like, saying to me, like, I like to get the fight over to close to the, close to the bench because it's like having your corner and your back. And I'm like, this guy's nuts, man. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he was crazy too. Uh, guy who's still playing over in the KHL, Andre Padan. Yeah, nail gun. He's he's scary tough too. Like mm-hmm. he was, I played with him again and, and got to know him more when he was with Utica, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a guy that was younger. And I liked to, I liked to have him over for dinner and was always always hanging around me and my family at the time. And uh, you know I got to see him in Russia and speak to him after he's playing for Akbars and now I know he's in Dynamo Moscow and man when he started fighting you know I hadn't seen much but when he started fighting with us in, in Yuka I was like wow <laughs> I was like this guy's this guy can uh can really draw people and he had some scary moments you know some big fights and uh yeah he was really nice person really good fighter and uh, obviously a great hockey player too you know? and- and a lot of the a lot of the guys you played with uh, in Bridgeport that year, you know, either had uh, saw significant time with the Islanders eventually, yeah. or in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of those guys uh, you played with a young Travis Hamanick. 
Yeah, yeah, we had uh, we had Hammer, and he was he was good. You know, he was one of those guys that probably uh, you know had to come come play with us because of his contract status during the lockout, and you know, which can't always be easy. But a guy that took it seriously and and did everything he could, I thought to to be a good teammate at the time, and and to to be involved and to care, and uh, certainly knew he'd probably have the opportunity to go back up right and play, but. Uh, good person, you know. I think he had a head head injury towards the end, and but uh, no, he was he was awesome, man. He was really. I was happy to you know meet him, and it's funny. Those are the you know kind of the times where you, you don't play with a guy a lot, but you still kind of watch and you kind of cheer for guys like that because he is such a such a good person, and um, hopefully it works out in Vancouver for him here. Now a guy who's um, you know a mainstay on the defense core right now. Uh, you played with a young raw Scotty Mayfield. What do you remember about Scott back then? I think um, I remember thinking that uh, you know the way he moved, how big he was, and obviously had a mean streak to him too. Like you know he was not an easy out. You could see the things he was going to develop into. Like you know he he was the kind of guy that you knew if you were going into a corner, it was going to be difficult to come out and. You know, you see what he's doing at such a high level now is, is all those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he defends at a high level. He's obviously got a great stick. And, uh, you know, again, one of those guys that's willing to be a good teammate. And, um, you know, another guy I'm happy to see doing well. And if you watch um, if you watch the Islanders at all, I don't know if you get them in, uh, in Germany or whatever or if you watch them online, when you see a guy yeah. like Brock Nelson, just what he yeah. does in the regular season and then <laughs> playoffs, he's like – a, a clutch goal there it is it's Brock yeah. Nelson and you played with the young Brock what do you remember about the playing with him <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good one like I had more relationship with him then and uh you know funny guy like really confident but you know shy at the same time but um you know we we were pretty close we I, I think we started the year which uh you know, it was probably a good thing for me was that I was playing with him. And, you know, he was, he was such a, such a talented player. Uh, you know, you could tell, obviously, this guy was going to be elite. And it's, it's always fun to have those guys you run into because you just know right away when you play with them, you're like, okay, like, you know, this guy's IQ is going to be at a level where he's going he's gonna to do some things that you're going to be watching for a long time. And, and Brock, you know, that was the case. And I thought Brock was, uh, you know, pretty funny. Like, he's, he's got one-liners that sometimes stump you because you think – you know, he is a little bit shy, you know, more more quiet person, but then he would just, you know, hammer you with a one-liner and make you feel like shit, but, uh, you know, all in a funny way, like, you know, just joking about goals or something in practice, he'd be like, well, he's like, I'm definitely going to have more goals than you today. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, I appreciate that, I'm fairly certain you will too, so no worries, Brock, but, uh, yeah, good, good guy. And and uh, a lot of times when when uh, established NHL players go down to the American League for whatever reason it is, a lot of times they they come down with an air about them or an attitude with them. And mm-hmm. from everything I've been told, uh, when Rick DiPietro ended up in Bridgeport, uh, you would never know that he was a uh, you know first overall pick, making all this money. From from what I've been told, he really just fit right in and, and was looking after the guys. Is that the case? Oh yeah. Like he was awesome. He was honestly like, uh, for me at the time being younger to have a guy that was so obviously a huge name mm-hmm. too, you know, it's, uh, you know, in a tougher part of his career come down and, uh, you know, you're a little bit adamant about, you know, how will he react a younger guy, but man, he was so nice to me. Um, and, and so nice to everybody and the staff and everything. And I, I the one thing I liked about him the most was he, 
like he had the the players back always and uh, and he was capable of doing that obviously because of you know being down there and who he was and but he wasn't shy to say you know like you know I don't think he should be you know treating guys that way or, or so on and so forth you know if something was done the wrong way he always always had his guys back and I really appreciated the fact that he could get through that that year with us and uh, you know not an easy time for someone like like him but again this was kind and honest and you know wasn't hiding away from anything and you know I can I can remember stories about him that you know will last forever for me you know one of them was I remember being on a really long bus trip and and you know he's probably sitting in the back and saying no this is this is nuts but he never did that what he did instead was I'll never forget him walking down the aisle and he's walking by all of us and the younger guys up front or wherever and I'm like, what is he doing? Um, and basically what he was doing was he went to the coach and he said, you got to stop the bus. He said, I'm going to get everybody some stuff here. Like, this has been nuts. And uh, they said, okay, we'll stop. And he got off and he literally bought everything he could possibly buy at the gas station. <laughs> you know, like every single snack and, and thing he, he could possibly get, and he just put it in a huge bag. And I'll never forget him coming back on the bus with, uh, you know, it's like Santa Claus with all his, all his kids and said, here you go. And here you go and uh no he was he was a really really cool person and uh i don't i wish i could remember but he was putting some crazy stuff on the board and you know picking up meals and mm-hmm. stuff along those lines so rick rick was uh, had a huge influence and i remember going to party after that year actually with my my buddies from school you know from college and it was always they were asking you know what's deep pitch what's rick like and i said oh i'll just i'll just call him you know, you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna call him. You know, and then everybody'd huddle around. We put him on speakerphone, and he'd take the call within you know, you know, ten seconds, and we chat, and the whole party pumped up. And, yeah, just a cool dude, really cool dude. So I saved someone for last because I mm-hmm. I don't know this for sure, but if I had to surmise who your best buddy was, um, I'd have to say it almost. I'm gonna assume it might have been Casey Sezikis, who obviously, as you know, is a monstrous part of this team. The 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 center on the best fourth line in hockey. I, everybody loves him here. Uh, tell me about your time with Casey Sezikis. Yeah, he was. Uh... Obviously, that was a, the first year we met, and uh, we, you know we haven't, uh, you know we we created a relationship that year that uh, you know it's now at the point where you know how many years that was I guess you know what ten years ago yeah. that uh, you know our kids are writing notes to each other now saying you know I miss you when you go to Germany and uh, so we're obviously very close. Our kids play soccer together in the summer. Uh, they did this summer. Um, you know, Casey, you know, for your listeners, have a pretty good understanding uh, of who he is and what he's been to that organization. But, you know, for me as a person, you know, separate to hockey, um, you, you really couldn't ask for a better friend. You know, he was he was the kind of person that in, in, in I've said it a bunch and it's, it's cliche and it sucks to keep saying it, but it, he's the kind of guy that... Uh, you know, if you ever need anything, you you can call Zeke. And uh, you know, when when we were playing that year together, um, you know, I got to know him on a more personal level, and you know, that was just the start of our relationship and friendship. And obviously, he goes to the NHL. But if you're talking about humility, um, you won't find someone with more. He uh, he doesn't know he's an NHL player. He doesn't care that he is. He doesn't you know he doesn't favor to it. You know, there's nothing he'll say. I can't do this or that. Um, 
he's in and he's just wants to be a good friend. And, uh, you know, since that day, I remember having long talks with him and saying, you know, Casey, like, like we're from the same area. Like, what do you, you know, where do you train in the summer? And, uh, this, this will show you how he is. And he said, you know, Fawaz, I, uh, I just, you know, I live on my, uh, my dad's couch and, uh, you know, I just go with my buddies to, you know, like a good life, we call it, or just a, you know, a random gym and I just train. Yeah. And I said, man, like, you're going to play in the NHL for a long time. Like, I think you should consider, you know, and, and yeah. the way he works, you know, he could do that. You know, yeah. he, he would have been still in great shape. But I said, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you come work out with me? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And, uh, you know, we worked out together for the last 10 years and he's um he's been with us at the place you asked us you know that dungeon style place with uh with molson and you know Tavares at the start and uh, a lot of different people but he's been a common guy there same as me because we we feel the same way about our off seasons and uh, casey works as hard if not harder than anybody i've ever met in my entire life so to have a guy uh where you wake up in the morning and you're happy to see when when you go into to work and work out uh you know a guy that push pushes me too you know like his his energy levels are like you watch him play like it's out of control and he's no different in anything in life you know if he's if he's working out he's at a high level and he's going and he's bringing energy and he's music up and it's time to go and uh you know for me as i've been getting older um, to have that you know and uh it's been huge and i'm i'm a big fan of casey's game and i like i like to sit there and i you know i, I didn't have the best time with the islanders personally but i cheer for them you know because of Casey and uh you know I watch every game I can and I'm in on those playoffs big time and Mm -hmm. I just uh I can't wait to watch this year truthfully because I know he's ready I know uh how he had a great summer as he always does and you know talking to him about camp and and all that good stuff that he's in a good spot and he's so happy to be back um, you know, for the next six years. And he's, listen, he's got a goal that that team has. And I almost share with him, you know, listening to his passion that uh, I really hope the Islanders can win a cup. And uh, I think if, if they do, you know, Casey Zizekas and Matt Martin, those kind of guys, they're the clutterbuck, uh, you know, they're the heartbeat. So I hope they can do it. So after Islander wins, Everybody watches because Casey's the first guy to go to the goalie and he gives him this giant hug. He has this big smile with the giant hug. Does he do that in real life? Does he just go around hugging people when he's happy? (laughs) Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. That's, I I ask him, I'm like, how could you possibly be happy like this all the time? I'm like, don't you have bad days? He said, yeah, but I'm happy for us. Like, I'm happy to see you. You know, he's like, uh, Bach, we played, you know, we played on the same golf course for a while, and yeah, he's, he's just always <laughs> like that. Like, and that's the thing, like, yeah. you know, if he's he's got these, you know, buddies that I became close with, and one of them is, you know, Ricky Bueller and uh, a couple of high school buddies, and he calls one guy Bear and all these guys, but they're just his buddies, like, yeah. and they, like he just he favors to like the simple things in life, and and those guys are his guys, and he's just he's just happy to see everyone and. He's got all the time in the world for anybody. And, you know, if I've ever asked him over the years, can you do this or, you know, can you come play in this golf tournament, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's, uh, he's there. Like my wedding uh, wasn't too long after we, we met. You know, maybe, you know, we're not playing together and stuff, but we're training together. But I remember he had two weddings. And I, I'm trying to think of the second one. Somebody on the other is. But he, mine was Friday and the second one was in New York on 
Saturday. And it was like, this guy came to my wedding and then, you know, has a good time and enjoys the night with everybody, you know, giving all the hugs and bringing the energy in. And, you know, the, the first one on the dance floor, last one off. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's on a flight early morning and writes his, you know, next, next buddy's wedding. And, wow. You know, that's what you come to expect with a guy like that. So. All right. So obviously I'm a sports fan. I'm superstitious, but let's, I just want to put this out there right now. If yeah. the, if the Islanders accomplish the goal that we know they've set for themselves and if, yeah. and as you know, that if that happens, the players get to have a day with a certain thing, they usually bring it home. Yeah. If all yeah. that happens, you have to send me a picture of the two of you with that thing. Okay. Well, listen, we'll just bypass the conversation. We'll understand what we said here, but we'll, I'm pretty superstitious too. So yeah. we'll, uh, we'll let them get to work and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what they can do. Let them have their goals and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. right. Now, yeah. uh, I did ask Blair Riley, uh, what he remembered about you. And, uh, he, t- he told good. me to ask you two things. The first thing was, he said, ask yeah. him about becoming an honorary cousin to the PEI lads. So we'll start with that. Uh, that seems like pretty elite company. How did you manage that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what that happened. Like, I was just trying to be cool like those guys probably. And, uh, yeah, they were, they were throwing around that I was a third cousin and, uh, yeah, I wish I was at top of those guys to hang out with them. But yeah, we were just we just did everything. Like us four did a lot of stuff together. It was funny because we we started this tradition wherever we were going, like we're in Atlantic City and all these random places and, and Blair and uh and Brett would always do the you know, the classic like boxing pose, like tough guy pose and we were taking those pictures all over the place. But uh I don't know how I became the third cousin or whatever, but who knows? Now, but, did Blair did, was Blair the fourth cousin, or he wasn't allowed in that club? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was definitely the fourth cousin. <laughs> I like it's hard to remember why that all happened, but mm-hmm. uh, we just spent so much time with those guys and had so much fun talking about the fact that these two lunatics were cousins, and uh, <laughs> you know, it was it was funny to watch those guys get going, and then you have have you know no idea what they're saying to each other because you know they get the the slang shit yeah. going and you know it's like i don't know what they're talking about but uh that was a fun year for the guys wise like we had to we had some good memories uh he also told me to ask you about surviving hurricane sandy yeah that's a good that's a that's a good one by blair he's an intelligent guy he's got a good memory he's yeah. one of those smart guys in hockey that can do it all so um yeah that was nuts like uh yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I totally forgot. Like our our house is, I guess we're on the same street. Yeah, that's right. So so we're on the same street, and uh, me and Mac were in one spot, and then Blair and like Wishart and I don't know a, a few other guys were down the street. I think I can't remember exactly, but anyways, Hurricane Sandy comes and uh, just destroyed the street. Like we were right on the water on uh, East Broadway, Milford, and. Like it was, it was nuts, and uh, we had to evacuate to Hartford and practice in Springfield, and uh, then we that, that year was nuts. Like uh, we we also had a nor'eastern, I think as you call it, and uh, it was like just destroyed us with snow too. You know, wow. snow that you you like couldn't get out of the houses. Like we were stuck, and uh, that also put us off for a bit. And 
you know, we were we were kind of everywhere. But yeah, surviving, you know, Sandy was a different experience. You know, I remember driving back and we're trying to see if your stuff survived and you know what's left of your house. And Blair, Blair's place, I'm pretty sure, was uh, was destroyed. Like, you know, I think you know, they were able to get a lot of the stuff, but the house is not livable. My house is livable still, but all those guys were gone because all their houses were ruined. So, wow. um, yeah, it was a different different experience. Many many thanks to Brandon DeFazio for his time. I hope that you people enjoyed part one. Stay tuned in one week's time. Next Monday, I will be dropping part two of this episode with Brandon DeFazio. And folks, if you enjoyed what you heard, please consider subscribing to the show. And if you have a second, if you don't mind uh, rating and reviewing the show, like the show, whatever the course of action on the platform you're listening to, which will uh, give the show greater visibility. I would really appreciate that. So if you like what you heard, please consider doing that for me. And uh, stay tuned next week, part two, Brandon DeFazio. Until then, everybody, stay safe.